0: Welcome back to the Coffee and Heroes podcast. We are getting back on the horse and we are coming to you with some comics reviews. So we haven't done a review show for quite a little while. There's been a few weeks of past, family reasons, personal reasons, lockdown reasons, COVID reasons. We could go on and on and on about why, but we're we're back, we're refreshed, we're ready to go and we're going to be bringing you reviews from the last five weeks. Uh, And that is a lot of content, not much Marvel content though. So what are you going to speak about tonight, Keith? <laughs> you just have,
1: you just have to bait me to start off, don't you?
0: I do. I, I can't resist it. So that is our uh, resident Mr. Marvel. Keith, of course, I'm Alan, Mr. DC, as you should know. Normally, Roddy would be with us. He's just taking a little bit of a break from the podcast for the mo for the moment. But we have drafted in a uh, a fresh voice, shall we say? So uh, he he proclaims to enjoy talking about himself. So if you want to skip by the next five minutes, you're probably fine. <laughs> but uh, no, this is uh, a regular to the store uh, a new a new face in the store really from from lockdown. I would say and uh, he's, he's displayed remarkably good taste in terms of his pull list. I can not say the same thing about his football team taste though, so why don't you tell <clears> us <throat> a little bit about yourself? Uh, welcome to the podcast, Patty.
2: Hello everyone, I'm very excited to be here. Uh, yeah, as Alan said, I've been coming into the store since, since lockdown. Uh, comics was something I was never really into. I remember there was a period when I worked for Apple in a, in a call center and I remember reading the boys followed by preacher in the space of three days. Uh, and then over lockdown, I'd finished playing Batman Arkham and I went straight on the Amazon. I wanted to know, read a bit more about Batman. So I ended up picking up the Scott Snader. It was a trilogy of books, Court of Owls, City of Owls and Death of the Family, which was fantastic. Uh, so after that, I started just kind of reading up online. Everything was closed down. There was still no, you know, no store to go into. I ended up, and you're going to have to forgive me for this, Alan. My first pull list I had set up with uh, Forbidden Planet online. Oh dear. Oh dear. And uh, I think I got. I realised there was quite a lot on it, and then it, I went. You know what? I'll message a, a comic book store, and it was you guys and. Yeah, it, it kind of, Every time you go into the store, you you feel like a part of the family, and from there, the the pool list just keeps growing and growing and growing. So, yeah.
0: <laughs> and and that, of course, is to do with the abundance of quality in the comic book market, not to do with my sales technique, is what you're saying. Bit of both. A bit of both.
2: <laughs> I, I, yeah, I I I I, can I, accept I wouldn't that. have picked up Panto now if it wasn't for for high highly you've. you've We've all spoke about it
0: in the past well i certainly can take credit for that that would be my lovely other half even though i read it first this is the funny <laughs> thing i read it first and then she read it and then i think he recommends it to everybody and rightly so it's a it's a great piece of work so but yeah that's it i mean i think it's uh i think it's just a great time for comics in general whether you're a fan of the big two the superhero stuff the indie stuff you know we always preach in the store that there really is a comic for everybody you know if someone's looking to get into comics, if they come into the store, my first question will always be, what's your favorite movie? And then go from there. I never introduce them to superhero stuff first. But um, it's really promising to hear that you know one of the things that got you into it was Snyder's Batman run because we've done podcasts in the past and it's something we must get back to, actually, which are starting points. And I always say the Batman run is just a great entry point for people who are maybe being away from comics for a while or, or are new to comics. So that's always good to hear. I mean, I think you have a you have a healthy divide in your pull list. Would that be fair to say? You know, between DC, Marvel, and indie, or is there anything yeah, that it, you veer towards? You it's
2: it, it's heavy indie. I mean, if you'd have told me the first time I walked into the store that the majority of the books that I end up reading, you know, wouldn't involve superheroes or wouldn't be Marvel and DC, you know, had no idea that as you said, it, it's cheesy, but there's a book for everything. You know, there really is. It's It's one of the things that's taken me by surprise and, you know, reading, getting stuff online, you know, catching up on the classics, if you will, that have that have missed out on, you know, coming kind of late into it. It's it's just brilliant. And I've been following that, you know, uh, Coffee and Heroes saying of follow creators." you know, I find myself going back and, you know, reading the, the Chip Sardarsky's Daredevil run through Marvel Unlimited and then picking up in store. There's a couple of other ones that I, I find myself reading them for hours. You know, it's you do get lost. And I think I remember it was my, my third time coming into the store. I remember saying I just had started the current run of Spider Man on Marvel Unlimited and it was four hours had passed and no time at all. <laughs> and then I added it to my pool. It, it it got. I don't want to say it got pure in quality. I'd never say something's pure in quality, but I lost interest in it just before the Singed Rising. And then Singed Rising it, it is apparently amazing. So I think I've learned a lesson maybe to, to stick with something if it's going through a bit of a a slow patch or, or maybe not holding me attention.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think it's an interesting thing with comics. I mean, I always say to people, if you're not enjoying something, you know, to cut it from a pull list because you'll always be able to replace it with something else. You know, sometimes as comic fans, you sort of become slaves to, you know, routine of a new issue of, you know, Batman or a new issue of Spider-Man or whatever. But but I know exactly what you mean, because I did the exact same. Uh, I dropped off Spidey and <laughs> on Spidey 2099, and I really wasn't a fan. And, and I think even Keith said he wasn't hugely fond of it. But then it led to Sins Rising, and then it led to Last Remains, and apparently it's some of the best Spider-Man stuff mm-hmm. in years. So... But the joy of it is that even if you miss out on it, the trades will be down the line. There's there's always a great story to catch up on, and as I'm finding out even through lockdown and have done for many years, it's impossible trying to get round to everything you want to read because there's just so <laughs> much there, you know? So, but... Uh, yeah, I mean it's it, it's nice that you say indie because then you you it's it's nice to always have an indie voice as well. Even though Keith and I read an abundance of indie as well, but we like falling into stereotypes sometimes on this show. And you know, <laughs> I'll just argue every Batman title's the greatest thing ever written. So uh, just wait until we get to the reviews. I'm sure you can guess what my first one will be. But anyway, before we jump into all of that, we always like to sort of go through a few different bits and pieces of some uh, some news. But even before that, I suppose as well, I should sort of go into the status of the store at the moment. So. Obviously, we're in the middle of this two-week circuit breaker, lockdown, sticking a pin in it, whatever they want to call it these days. But for two weeks, essentially, um, all non-essential businesses are closed. They have found loopholes all over the place just to make sure that businesses still have to pay their rent is, is my sort of cynical view on it. But Smithfield is open at the moment, but we took the decision to close for sort of general footfall. We are open at the moment by appointment only uh you know we have a click and collect service there we have tons of products on the website but also we'll be advertising like latest releases and things like that through facebook and instagram and so forth so just get in touch with us and we can get you sorted with whatever you need you know uh, deliveries are not going to stop at the moment new releases are still coming out every wednesday So we're still there. I mean, anything you need at all from the store, even if it's just advice on what's coming up soon or, you know, starting points for things or presents for people, you know, use us. We're still there as a resource. Do certainly use us. And then, as I say, that click and collect is definitely an option. And it means that our customers feel safe coming to the store rather than maybe worrying there's a few people in it. And, you know, I think it's fair to say this whole pandemic everyone is dealing with in their own way and not everybody deals with it in the same way. So. We hope by doing that it's a good equalizer, and it's only really one in the store at all times, uh, at most. So, you know, we want we want to be conscious of that. So, yeah, anything you need at all from us, guys, just do get in touch, and uh, we'll we'll definitely do our best to steer you right. You know, we're recording this on on a Monday evening, and I'm really looking forward to getting into the store tomorrow just to get my delivery, so I can start uh, getting the titles ready for next week. So, but yeah, that's that's pretty much the store at the moment. Uh, again, we we just like to sort of focus on a couple of different bits and pieces of, of news that have cropped up recently. I think it's certainly worth looking at. Uh, it, it's something we've talked about before, genuinely, about uh, the evolution of streaming platforms, if you will, and how they're getting more and more big titles. Obviously, at the moment with cinemas being closed, there was always going to be that question of who blinked first. You know, certainly with regards to Marvel and DC movies, or in this case, Disney and Warner Brothers Warner Brothers are, of course, setting up HBO Max, but that's not worldwide. So it was somewhat of a surprise to me, anyway, that Wonder Woman 1984 was the title that blinked first. Certainly before something like Black Widow, because I've always said Black Widow has a built-in audience with Disney Plus. It's a movie that is more of a prequel than a sequel. It's not really setting up anything in the Marvel universe going forward. So to see that Wonder Woman's going to hit HBO Max on Christmas Day in the states. But even before that, apparently, come to the UK on the sixteenth of December was a bit of a surprise. Uh, what were your thoughts on this, Keith? When you when you saw it? Well, I mean, as you say, we've
1: talked about it, and I guess whenever we've been talking about it, our main concern has been the you know the knock-on effect on cinema, uh, which which of course is, is something that we all really enjoy the experience of, and you know what's that idea is uh, you know if, if, if big movie houses start seeing that they can make as much money streaming you know a a a show or a a first release rather than releasing it in a cinema then what's what's to stop them from doing that you know what i mean it's it's a much easier ask um you know so so there's an obvious worry there an obvious concern there regarding cinemas but then you know you think about cinemas and and uh, cinemas are still going to be there once we come out of the end of this lockdown the only the only question will be who owns those cinemas you know what I mean? If, uh, at the end of the day, the buildings are purpose-built, um, so uh, so they'll, they'll still be there. But yeah, I mean, and the the other question then is what what is next? You know, there's already been rumblings that they're they're maybe going to release Black Widow, and uh, you know, on Disney Plus or whatever. Uh, I mean, I think you're you're maybe making a few assumptions there, Alan, as to yes, it is a prequel, but you know, that's not to say that it won't set up things to come, or it won't you know be it won't, it won't it would be strange for it to be completely separate from the rest of the, you know, the Marvel, the Marvel milieu, you know, Um, especially considering they're now setting up an entire New Yorker stuff whenever the infinity saga is finished. But yeah, I don't know. I guess it is in some ways worrying. Um, Yeah. I don't don't know. Mixed feelings about that.
2: You kind of look at the money as well. I mean, I was reading that was it Netflix were bidding 500 million to try and get the rates to the next James Bond film. You know, yeah. Bond will probably make close to a billion in the box office, if not break the billion. We, so studios we are going to look it, at this now and
0: yeah i mean it would hit a billion but then you got to factor in like all your your costs in making the movie all your you know you you got to recoup back a lot of that as well so in terms of profit if that's a straight 500 million maybe that's not a bad object for them i don't know but obviously i don't know the the, the implications the movie finances and so forth but it's just it's a worrying trend i think i think that you know i was vicky and i were chatting about this today you know it's kind of one of the most depressing things of this whole lockdown has been the fact that we've all spent so much time indoors you know you you miss going out you miss socializing you miss making it an event at the weekend to go to the cinema or or to go out for dinner or that kind of things and i just worry that we're more and more you know even as depressing as this is you know we're all set in our own individual houses right now recording this instead of it being a, a social gathering that kind of thing and I don't know. I, I just get the feeling that you know this is a total soapbox. I've jumped on here, but the way the world's going, it's literally go to work, come home, stay at home until you need to go to work again. You've got everything you need. You've got the latest movies. You've got the latest games consoles. You've got comics. You've got books. You know, it's uh, it's a slightly scary thing. That was such a total tangent there. I have to <laughs> say, but but what <laughs> this I was is,
2: this is Alan's
1: therapy <laughs>
2: <laughs> You are Adam right. Sir. Disney, budged, Disney have budged as well with. Their new Pixar one called Soul.
3: Yeah, I
2: think they're they've announced they're releasing that they have, on yep. Christmas Day as well, on it? I mean, that's another film you're talking. You know, I I don't know how well Pixar films have been doing lately, but they've all been brilliant, I think, apart from Inside Out, which was just. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's around for another time. But I, I I think it it will become the new normal now, where where films are getting released. You know, you, you look at Movie House shark you had 14 screens. How long is it going to be before that cinema is back up and running with, you know, enough new releases to fill 14 screens? I think we're going to see a, a lot of downsizing in cinemas. I think we're going to see a lot of dual releases, you know, whether they release it, you know, video on demand, kind of they done that at the start of lockdown, didn't they? Do you remember with...
3: Was there was the... Milan, hunt?
2: wasn't it? Yeah, Mulan was another one that kind of released them all at once, but then you do that, you've got Piracy, you know, how many people are you going to get going? Sure, we'll not go and see Wonder Woman. It's going to be on X, Y, and Z next week. You know, it's it's sad and worrying times. I worked in movie house for three years and to this day, it's still the best job I've ever had. You know, all my group of close friends is the friends I work with in movie house. So the an industry that I absolutely love and adore, at risk, it's it's sad. Mm, mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, I mean yeah. That, that that's it. it. It shows how small a world it is sometimes. Because the same movie house that Patty worked at, uh, I worked at for a year and a half as well. But I think we were uh, just at different times. Paths
2: did not cross.
0: Yeah, I mean it's. I, I suppose part of the problem is, and it certainly factors into some of some of the rest of the news that we'll we'll talk about here. Part of the fact, I suppose, is just streaming platforms are making movie quality TV shows now. That's the thing. I mean, we're we're going to go into it here, certainly with uh, you know. Although you guys, of course, will not throw spoilers out because I haven't watched yet. But things like the Mandalorian. I mean, the Mandalorian is is cinema level Star Wars, but at home and arguably better. Than no,
1: I don't think there's an argument there if you've seen the last two yes. movies. <laughs> well,
0: well, even just going back to the original trilogy, you know, I'm hearing more and more people say that this is genuinely the best Star Wars has ever been, and mm-hmm. and and you know that's being achieved uh, on a, on a smaller budget, but it's made it just feels like Star Wars, and you know, you look at things like Stranger Things, you know, you know that looks like a similar sort of budget to something like say the IT movies, which were theatrical releases. You know, it's it's just TV. Is so I mean, it's a, it attracts all the best actors now as well. You know, it used to be that if if you were a movie star and you ended up on TV, it meant your career was going one way. But now it seems to be if you're on TV
2: and on a prestige show, it's going the other way. So it's quite interesting yeah. as well. Do you remember years ago, you knew a TV show was big whenever they talked about making a movie off it. Yeah. yeah. You know, it's like Breaking Bad would be the perfect example of the Don El Camino. You know, it would be oh, we'll do this—the Sopranos movie. You know, was talked about for years, but now, as you said, that the quality these streaming services are doing, there's there's no need for it. You know, you're you're getting to watch it like a movie. You know, you're getting 12 episodes of Stranger Things at a time. Okay, The Mandalorian, and what was the other big one that started releasing uh, weekly? The boys, the boys.
0: Weekly,
2: yeah. yeah. So I, I prefer it weekly. You know, if you I, I just love waiting weeks between episodes. You know. Takes me back to the early days of Lost when you would sit and talk for a week, speculate for a week about what was going to happen next. I think you're, you're more invested in it, you know, rather than having the ability to, to pause a season, go back to it three months later. I think it's mm-hmm. people say it's old school, but I 100% prefer weekly releases.
0: Well, it keeps it more as that social aspect as well, I suppose, because. You know, it's not so much a case of, oh, what stage are you at in this? Oh, well, I'm nine episodes in. What stage mm-hmm, are you at? Yeah. Oh, I've watched two, you know. But then again, there's still things that come out in weekly releases and, you know, you don't listen to the people closest to and then it takes you, you know, three years to watch Cobra Kai and, you know, you just, <laughs> you regret every day of those three years, you know, because you think I could have watched this three times by then, <laughs> you know. So, but yeah, that, that that's another uh, aspect to go to, I suppose. But yeah, I mean, talking of the likes so of the streaming services, for example, I mean, uh, I saw this week that Marvel had changed the uh, opening logos for uh, Black Panther. And anyone who knows the Marvel logo well at this point will know it always start. It usually starts, I believe, off the top of my head with... Is it Captain America is usually the first image? And Iron mm-hmm. Man's the last one. And you get all these different stills throughout the different movies. And you, you start to remember just how big a scale that cinematic universe is. But they changed it recently to incorporate all footage from Black Panther... Uh, behind-the-scenes stuff with Chadwick Boseman. It was essentially to uh, commemorate what would have been his 44th birthday, but obviously it was taken from us too soon, unfortunately. So I thought this was a really nice touch. I think this is something that uh, I think it should stay with Black Panther, even if they go back to their yeah. normal logo in other movies. I think certainly for Black Panther it should go this way. This this must have been something that you, know, you enjoyed, Keith, I would imagine. Oh, yeah, absolutely.
1: I mean, it was... Uh, yeah i mean i, I think it's a still a loss that, that that folk are feeling you know um and i, I think they've they've done a, a good job of of just those wee things as we those wee tributes um as you say they changed it for his 44th birthday and it's it's in front of the the disney plus uh stream of uh, of uh of black panther um and as Bob Iger said, you know, to all fans of Black Panther, watch the film on Disney Plus late tonight for a special tribute to someone who was and always will be near and dear to our hearts. Um, so yeah, that was a lovely wee, uh, a lovely wee thing. Um, I see they've announced Black Panther two now, uh, with uh, it's currently in development with plans for for a May twenty twenty two release.
0: Yeah, that's. I suppose it's inevitable, you know, given the financial success of that movie and and everything else. I don't know Black Panther lore well enough, to be honest. You would probably be in a much better position than me, Keith, but I, I, I just don't really know the lore well enough to know if it would be a seamless transition to another person, the likes of Shuri or yeah. you know, a different I mean, Black Panther, so to speak. I, I don't know.
1: It's really it's really hard to say. I mean, uh, those movies and those studio, that studio has my trust, obviously, just after 23 movies, you know, on a, an unprecedented building of an arc. Um, so I, I'd say... I'd say they'll do well, they'll do it well, they'll do it respectfully and they'll do it in a way that makes sense for the story, you know. Uh, so, uh, yeah, we'll see what, see what happens. But, yeah, I mean, the, the, the obvious transition would be for, for for Shuri to take up the role, the mantle of, of Black Panther, uh, as, as happened in the comics. Um, but, you know, they, they could very well and probably will surprise us.
0: Well, that care and attention you talk of, hopefully that is something they will equally levy towards Daredevil. Uh, old Hornhead, one of my absolute favorite Marvel characters, had a awesome three-series run on Netflix, loved the whole show. Charlie Cox mm. was awesome, Vincent D'Onofrio, you know, Rosario Dawson as the through line through the Netflix shows. They did so much right in those Netflix shows, but inevitably that was a deal that was sort of placed before... You know, Disney had taken over the rights to all the Marvel stuff, and I suppose it was only really a matter of time before Disney got those rights back. And that time proved to be this week. So then I mm-hmm. have the the rights back to Daredevil. Is there anything you would like to see them do? You know, have they covered TV now, and now they need to throw them straight into a movie somewhere? Do they need to? Uh,
3: you know?
0: I don't know. I mean, again,
1: we come back to streaming services making movie quality tv and in fact movie quality movies as well i'm <laughs> so if you watch a few of those for the weekends uh, but uh i mean what i would love to see would be them to continue the work that was done on netflix uh with to to to, to a large extent the casts that they used because i mean charlie cox was fantastic as matt murdoch was fantastic as daredevil the action was superb uh you know they they pulled everything together really nicely um there was some cliffhangers in there. There was a fantastic cliffhanger at the end of Luke Cage season two and even better cliffhanger at the end of Iron Fist, which just had me really excited. Um, So uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know uh, what they'll do. I don't know if, uh, as you, as you said earlier Alan, whether egos will uh, egos will take over and, uh, and, uh, and, and they'll start at the start again. But I mean, yeah, certainly they, it would be well served if they were to if they were to keep a lot of those casts and and continue on a lot of those a lot of those stories. But I don't know. I don't know. I've still got uh, season three of Daredevil to watch actually. If, yeah, I
2: think if it's still the fan base, you know, you, you look at the fan base for the Daredevil show on Netflix. There's no way I can see them recasting it. Or you know, you look at Disney Plus's lineup as well of TV shows. You've got She-Hulk coming. You know, could you see a a different lineup of the defenders? Maybe you know. Mm
3: -hmm. Yeah,
1: I don't know. I don't know. Um, I uh, (laughs) just—it's all to play for. (laughs) It's all to play
0: for. Yeah, I mean that. uh, I I just kept looking to the side there at my you know library, and I had to invest in this simply because of that bloody brilliant um, finale of Iron Fist, and this was this came highly recommended by a certain Mister Miller. Uh, oh, yes. Because this apparently jumps straight on from that brilliant cliffhanger where Danny is able to, you know, focus his chi onto two golden guns. And you're just like, this is how you're ending it, really? <laughs> There's so much <laughs> yeah, great know. stuff to go through from uh, just uh Just this being
1: a non-visual media, that was uh, The Mortal Iron Fist by Fraction, Briebecker, Adja.
0: Yeah, that is, that is quite the lineup, so it is, so... Another thing on my reading pile, but I promised to go to Invincible first. Uh, that's, a, that's, a, that's a fantastic run, fantastic run,
1: and you've got the best of it there. So,
0: Yeah, I have no doubt with uh, Fraction and Asia involved, you know, they have the greatest Hawkeye run of all time. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, uh, but yeah, so it'll be interesting to see what they do with uh, these licenses going forward. I mean, I would argue that certainly Netflix, Daredevil aside, they took, you know, You know, if you were to say that the Marvel Cinematic Universe took B-list Marvel characters at the time because they weren't Spider-Man, they weren't the X-Men, they weren't the Fantastic Four, you know, they took the likes of Iron Man and Thor and elevated them. You know, you would argue that Netflix maybe took characters that normally wouldn't be so celebrated in Marvel lore, so to speak, Mm -hmm. the likes of, you know... Luke Cage and Jessica Jones and stuff and they did something really special with those characters. So I think the mm. the expectations has grown certainly from I think, what they did. I think uh,
1: you know what they did, Alan, was they took the street level characters, they took the the uh the synonymous Marvel Knights, uh, you know, and and, and did something with them, you know, and I that I means it's the street level. Characters were for me Marvel really thrives, you know. Um, so I think they did that really well. And I mean, I, that whole way through, Luke Cage and Iron Fist, I was just waiting for Luke Cage and Iron Fist to 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 go, to, to team up, you know, because those guys are the ultimate are the ultimate Marvel team up, really. <laughs> uh, as the heroes for
0: hire. So uh, yeah, it's good stuff. It's good stuff. Well, in terms of TV stuff, I suppose I should just step back for five minutes and let you two geek out about the latest Mandalorian episode, like the rest <laughs> of the world is.
1: Well, oh, brilliant oh it was uh i tell you i'm really loving really loving mandalorian um i'm not i mean obviously this is a review show so it is spoiler filled um but uh, i don't want to spoil uh, the mandalorian for anybody but i think everybody knows that uh, there's a particular character who's been very very popular in uh, uh in star wars as a result of the the clone wars cartoon who uh, premiered in the live action uh in this uh, particular episode and uh we see some Jedi on Mandalorian action. Uh, we learn some things about Best Car Steel that we maybe didn't know, and uh, there's a certain uh, there's a certain mention of a certain character brought back into canon that had me going wibble. Uh, so uh, yeah, it was uh, pretty good. you're not you're not quite up to
0: date yet? I don't know. I haven't even started season two. Okay. But You've some, seen season one, oh yeah. I've seen season one, yeah. and someone very generously gave me their Disney Plus login details, so <clears> it won't be too <throat> long before we jump in. That's how he bought his way under this show, I should say. <laughs> uh, Rumbled. <laughs> so uh, I've no doubt that Vic and I will jump on it because yeah, we we loved season one. I mean, anybody who knows me knows I'm not the biggest Star Wars guy, but the Mandalorian's just brilliant television. So I'm I'm really looking forward to season two.
2: I was in work and one of the guys on work watches it. And I said every, it's like every Monday you're going to New York going it's brilliant. And part of me almost wants there to be a bad episode. So I can turn around and go, uh, that wasn't the best, was it? But it just honestly gets better and better with every episode. It's, yeah. it's, it, it came to someone touched on it earlier. It's, it's probably the best star Wars has been.
1: Yeah. Yeah. John Favreau, Dave Filoni, you know, and the teams they build around them. I think it's just two guys that have, yeah, they they've built a they've built a scaffolding of uh, I guess of uh, of of classic Star Wars uh, themes and, and you know and, and characters and you know from that from that scaffolding they're now world building in, in a real original way that that's that's bringing new stuff to the Star Wars universe but doing so in a way that sort of respects what's gone before without being stale
2: or staid or boring you know so I think we'll stuff. see quite a few spin offs as well I think that that last episode I kind of went away and thought after it and I'm like they've set up possibly two or three tv shows alone in one episode you know if (laughs) if, if they they carry on and you know announce a spin-off of a b and c you're looking at I I think for the time being the future star wars is going to be on disney plus I think the I didn't mean the latest trilogy apart from the last jedi which I just can't watch again I've I've re-watched all well, nine films, the eight films, and when I get to The Last Jedi, I, I skip it. I left the cinema, so looking forward to it, took my girlfriend, and I didn't speak from we left the cinema. Yeah, I got in the car, and I just looked at her, so disappointed, and went, I don't think I like that. <laughs> and that's the first time I've ever felt a real disappointment leaving the cinema. Uh, uh,
0: <laughs> this is a topic that's that has sick. been well covered, I can assure well, you, uh, in the uh, story.
1: That's a very sad tale. But uh, speaking of sad tales and Star Wars, uh, we, uh, as you probably know, we lost uh, David Prowse this week. the The man who was in the costume of uh, of Darth Vader, um, died at at eighty five years of age. You know, he'd been uh, he'd been in
0: not I don't think he was in great health for a long time. Yeah, I don't think this was anything sort of COVID related or anything like that. I think it was just sort of. You know, he had obviously had a nice long run uh, from what I've read, you know, he died peacefully. He was he was obviously someone who, you know, maybe his role as Darth Vader was slightly underrated. You know, everyone thinks of the James Earl Jones voice. Everyone thinks of, you know, the, the way Darth Vader talks. But, you know, you had to create a character who was imposing, physically dominant. You know, he was a six foot five bodybuilder at the time, you know, and he, <laughs> he essentially towered over these stormtroopers over Leia in the beginning. You know, looked like you know they they essentially created one of the greatest villains and you know in pop culture history you know without a doubt and you know it's it's certainly a sad loss you know he he lived well off of the the Star Wars lore from what I understand the conventions and stuff he was always really approachable loved his uh, his role in the movie and so forth so and loved the effect that it had on people so uh, it's it's a sad loss you know it's uh, <laughs> twenty twenty keeps throwing them up at us so they do to say the least so. Uh, Yeah, you know, certainly rest in peace, David Prowse, and you know, our our thoughts go to his family. Um,
2: I read a a very touching story online. Someone was at a convention and he was, I think he stopped doing them. So it was maybe four or five years ago. And the person had brought up quite a few Darth Vader Funko's. And he, he looked at the guy and he said, Don't worry, I'll not say my name on it. They'll be worth more when I'm dead. (laughs)
0: <laughs> wow that's a man who understands the ebay market right there <laughs> uh just wow. one last thing just to to finish off on certainly something i wanted to bring to people's attention because it was something i really enjoyed myself and it's kept me relatively sane in the store while i've been uploading stuff to the to the website but uh There was this uh, Comic-Con that took place, this online Comic-Con over the weekend there. It's called Mainframe Comic-Con. And they've done this before. This was where I first chatted to uh, Drew Zucker and David M. Boer was when they did this uh, before over the summer. Creators of Canto. And then obviously we established a relationship with them out of this. But there was one last Friday. And instead of being Black Friday, you know, it was called Bat Friday. And you can (coughs) find it at MainframeComicCon.com. Now, to give you an idea of some of the the level of talent that these, uh, cause, because all of these are available now via, you know, they've posted them via YouTube and so forth, but you can find them all on the main site. You know, there's panels with James Tinian, who, of course, is doing great work on the main run at the moment. There was a, a panel with Jock, who, you know, has certainly left his mark on the Batman universe through Black Mirror. You know, you had a... You had what was called a pre-show show and that involved alex ross jeff johns Mirko gondolfo and jh williams III. not a bad pre-show that you had a panel on batman black and white which had joshua williamson who of course is doing batman superman at the moment our good friend uh of the podcast chip sadarsky who's been writing more and more for dc recently uh kelly jones tim seeley jill thompson you had a a um panel with david finch and jason Faybook as well and then the one that certainly caught my eye the most because as everybody knows i'm just a massive tom keen fanboy you know a fully paid up member of the cult of keen as uh keith calls it (laughs) and there was one for the upcoming batcat which of course has you know again another friend of the store clay who was you know believe it or not over a year ago he was in our store geez time flies and Mitch eds was there on that panel as well and there's some really really good stuff so I just it's something worth jumping into if you're a fan of the creative process, if you're a fan of behind the scenes stuff for how the comics get made, you know, if you want to get hyped for some of their upcoming titles, I thoroughly, thoroughly recommend uh, jumping onto it. As I said, it's mainframe Comic Con, and they're also selling a whole bunch of exclusive prints on there as well. I promise this is not a paid advertisement because it's starting to sound like one, but I just it was something I really enjoyed, and and the uh, the panels were great. My favorite part was where Tom Keane's sitting in his study, and his study's amazing, just all kinds of first editions everywhere, posters, prints, but there was a famous story that uh, for Superman up in the sky, which, you know, I've I've talked about many times before in the podcast, he bought an entire issue's worth of Andy Kubert's art because he just thought it was incredible. I think it was the issue where uh, it's Superman racing the Flash. And he showed off the artwork and then a couple of minutes later he was saying how clay won't give him any of his art How you know i've asked for pages of backcat and you know clay won't give them to me and clay's like let me see all that andy Kubert artwork again all that one you paid lovely money for he's like yeah pay me you can have whatever you want tom <laughs> he's just if you know him and you've met him he's got such a dry sense of humor but he's, he's genuinely hilarious uh, but yeah, just give, give that a, a wee watch, guys, if, if you fancy it. As I say, it's uh, com, and if you've even a passing resemblance in Batman, I think you'll uh, you'll certainly get something out of it. So yeah, I think that's going to do it for us in terms of sort of wrapping up what has caught our eye in the last little while. So we are going to move on to some comics, because after all, that's what you're here for. Well, other than to hear Keith's dulcet tones, of course. But <laughs> Yeah, thanks very much. No, oh, it's a it's always a pleasure, always a pleasure to hear you talk. Uh, but yeah, we obviously it's been a it's been a minute since we've done the review show. Normally, we would, you know, go through each week, pick a title of the week, throw in some honorable mentions, and and have a a, a massive discussion on them. But we five weeks to catch up on, and as much as I have no doubt Keith and I could talk about comics for the next five hours, we don't want to subject you to that. So we decided to just make a pick of the week from each week each. So there'll be 15 titles we're talking about here. Uh, that's going to be titles that first started coming out on the 28th of October, and then on a weekly basis right up until the most recent week's releases, which was the 25th of November. So before we jump into that, we did total up our, uh, our titles for the amount that we had in that time, and oh my God, there is a dead heat and everything. <laughs> so... Over that time, I had 126 titles. So over five weeks, 126 titles. 44 of those were DC. 29 of those were Marvel. And in a surprising statistic, 53 of them were indie. So indie was very much winning for me. Uh, what about yourself, Patty? What was your pull list haul over those five weeks?
2: I thought I had a big pull list until I seen yours on Keith's numbers. Uh, I had 38 in total, 10 DC, 8 Marvel, and 20 ND.
0: Yeah, i got to tell you, dude, the, that pull list is only going to get bigger when you come on this show, because that's usually how it works.
2: <laughs> and is that the plan? Get me on? So just, spend <laughs> just get one customer on at a
0: time who has a, a smaller pull list. So um, as I said, my total was 126 for the five weeks. Keith, what was your total for the five weeks? Uh,
1: exactly the same, 126. 126. Um, Thirty-two DC, forty-nine Marvel, and forty-three indie. So, uh, so there you go. And I would say probably about twenty of that forty-nine Marvel
0: were Ten of Swords. I would say <laughs> twenty-two of them were uh, Ten I of would Swords. Say you
1: could be right. Yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah. So we're going to look at each individual week, and I am surprised that you know we didn't get together to record a podcast after the twentieth of October releases because you know even before we we have a little document that we sort of share what our picks are and people can have a look at it before we get ready to record and so forth and i was already called out even though this is his first appearance on the show you know so this is a this is an episode will be worth something in the future guys first appearance uh even though this is Patty's first appearance on it he was like Hmm, I wonder what Alan's pick will be for the 28th. Well, I'm going to completely conform to Stereotype, and my pick for that week was Batman Three Jokers, book three. So, Three Jokers for me is an absolute exercise in how to do prestige, top format comic books. The creative team is awesome on it, Jeff Johns, Jason Fabek, and Brad Anderson, so writer, artist, colours. It came out as consistent as gravity at the in the last release week of each month, and then three weeks after the third issue was out, the hardcover um, collected edition was out as well. It felt special. It felt like an event. You had variant covers for people who liked that. It had ratio variant covers. It it really just felt like tru- a truly special event to me. And the one thing I think it is fair to say though, and maybe this it was maybe a slight victim to its hype was. This was not going to change the DC universe in any massive way. You know, I look at Three Jokers as just a really, really well-told story by by guys at the top of their game. So, by the time you're getting to the third issue, you know, Red Hood is in a very weird place. You know, the, the Bat Team are pretty much a breaking point. You've got the Joker has kidnapped Joe Chill. He's trying to keep this psychological edge over Batman, and... It just was some truly brilliant storytelling. You know, everything got really, really personal in it. Uh, I thought that there was great action in it. And I really enjoyed how it ended. A lot of people had problems with how it ended. Uh, You know, and there were a few guys in store who actually was sort of like, is that it? But what I thought it did really well was it linked back perfectly to The Killing Joke. It actually built on some of the mythology of that story. It had Batman slash Bruce essentially getting his confidence back because i think the whole thing about three jokers to me was all about bruce losing his confidence it was the end of the dark side war he had asked who the joker's real name was and he was told there was three of them and the reason that became so shocking is because at the end of this he's talking and he says he's always known who the joker's real name is so people were sort of saying like well why did he ask that I think it was just uh, he was trying to reaffirm his confidence and once he was told there was three of them it was like he was wrong. He had to set out to find out the, the truth of this mystery. So for me I just I absolutely loved it. I thought it left it open just enough that you could do more with it. But at the same time I also think that this this is just going to go down as one of those definitive Batman stories in the long term. You know, that the art just flicking through it here. It's just it's one of the most gorgeous comic books you'll ever read. You know, Fabook really took advantage of the extra time he was given. I love that they waited until the art was completed before they started soliciting it. Just everything about it I thought was absolutely wonderful and it fully lived up to my expectations. And this is where I'm really looking forward to hearing Patty's take on this because I know for a fact that when you first read this, you did not particularly like it.
2: Yeah, it, it's not that I didn't like it. I think it, I was underwhelmed. I think it kind of set the, the bar very high. I really enjoyed issue one. Issue two was almost, I don't want to say a filler, a filler issue. I, I think whenever I'd finished it, I messaged you right away and saying, if he knew who the Joker was all along, then why did he ask? Uh, but yeah, I reread it last night. and it, my, I've never had an opinion change. So much on either rereading or rewatching something, but I thought it was absolutely fantastic. The the bit when Red Hood Jason puts the the note on Barbara's door saying he's willing to change for her, and he doesn't stick it on well enough and it falls off to be to be brushed away that she'd never read it. I thought was was fantastic. Yeah. So overall, that I loved it. It's yeah. I'm glad I reread it. Other ways, you'd be getting a completely different opinion right now. Well,
0: this is it. I mean, you don't have to. It's okay. I know that you reread it because you were coming on here for the first time. You you can disagree with me. It's okay. I won't kick you off. It's all right. (laughs) But uh, no, I think I think that
2: was rubbish. I think it's very
0: true. I think it. I think that the best stuff a demands a reread in terms of you know either reinforcing your initial opinion or maybe it's a case of going in and. Taking it for what it is i think sometimes books get hyped up so much that they become victims, and movies are the same games as everything's the same sometimes if things get hyped too much and let's be honest this was hyped beyond belief the whole series and i'm really curious with this week's releases coming out Keenan black because donny Cates is the absolute master of hype uh whether it'll live up to it but for me this was just a, a brilliantly professionally executed piece of work that you know, I think you'll notice new details in from time to time. I mean, just as you say that, the whole uh, Jason p- pinning the note on Barbara's door, you know, he can't even fully commit to that, even though he's written the note. The way the art's been done, he's sort of put it on the door by pressing the paper halfway up. He doesn't press the tape. As, it's almost as if he's not fully committed to it. Either. You know what I mean? Uh, there's, there's all these subtle little art things that Fabric does. I noticed it in the previous issues as well that I just thought was excellent. Um what about yourself, Keith. What were your uh, what were your thoughts on this, and I suppose on three jokers in general now that it has come to its conclusion.
1: I think I think I enjoyed it. Uh, I think I enjoyed it a lot. It looks gorgeous. Uh, Faber's art is is fantastic. It just it's it, it sort of reminds me of uh, like an evolved version of some of the uh, Batman art from the eighties. Uh, you know, the the mid eighties. Uh, it looks really really fantastic. There's a lot of stuff in here. That you would recognize even if you weren't a, a long time batman reader um you know the monarch theater and there's there's a couple of wee things that nod towards uh you know the, the 1989 batman movie Axis chemical factory and and bits and pieces like that um i think i mean overall it was a character study it was a character study of of bruce and of barbara and of uh of red hood uh really wasn't it and the three the three jokers were really just counterpoints of them,
3: mm-hmm.
1: counterpoints of Batman, counterpoints of uh, of uh, of Barbara, and uh, and uh, counterpoints of Jason. You know, so and I mean, I whenever we you talk about a thing being a victim of its of its own hype, I don't know that. You know, I, I, I'm kind of now thinking back. I'm wondering if the hype came from people's expectations, or if there was an actual, or if there actually was, you know, if Jeff Johns was doing an awful lot of hype into this. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, so I mean, I think he, I think he, he, he told a story. He just wanted to tell a story. Um, I, I agree with you. There's a master class in the presentation of Black Label. Why? Because it's regular size and regular decent price. <laughs> you had um, to just get that in there, didn't you? But, uh, but uh, no, I think this is exactly what Black Label should be. You know, this. See,
0: just as you say that, this is the same price as a title we'll be discussing later.
1: Uh, you know, just we're clear. It's, Although the title uh, we
0: talk about later doesn't come with a cool playing card, I suppose.
1: <laughs> well, that's true. That's true. You know, so, so you know, I think it. I think it did great. I think it was. It was a brilliant story. Um, I think it was a really good story. I don't think you'd even really need to know what had gone before. No. In the new Fifty Two at all. I don't think you would. You would need to know
0: that. Um, uh, I would suggest reading no... Killing Joke certainly before it, and I think to a point under the Red Hood just to, so you get more of a semblance of everything happening with Jason. But mm, I mean, I've read the Killing Joke, obviously, mm-hmm. but uh but i mean whenever i say what has gone before i meant you know the
1: batman sitting in the
0: mobius chair oh, yeah, and, yeah,
1: yeah. you know i don't think you need any of that in fact that seems like a world
0: away from this yeah i mean that was that was very much just a footnote at the end of a really big bombastic justice league story called the dark side war it was just it it, it was the equivalent of like when you watch batman begins and it ends with he leaves a calling card at the you know at every scene of the crime it was more sort of a what could be rather than a a massive point but Mm. but yeah just tons of great personal stuff here i mean i love where you know he he finds all the letters in joe chill's cell you know obviously joe chill has written all these letters to bruce wayne and one they apologize for what he did and all this kind of stuff and i even love that amongst it as batman is you know sifting through them you see on it it's like bruce wayne bruce wayne bruce wayne batman so obviously Joker slipped that one in there and mm-hmm. yeah, just a tons of great detail. And I genuinely do think it'll benefit from re- rereads. Cause as you say, the best things that benefit from rereads are character pieces. They're they're not big set piece, you know, yeah, yeah. exposition heavy comics, they're character pieces and and I just do see this stand, stand the test of time becoming one of those Batman stories. So uh yeah, thoroughly loved it. Lived up to every expectation for me, certainly as a Bat fan. And, yeah, looking forward to another reread, which will probably be about the fourth reread at this point.
1: <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm very jealous of you and Paddy and your your talk of rereading. <laughs> <laughs>
2: it happens. In terms of the, the Joker's backstory, is this the most we've ever got to learn about it? You know, you actually see his... It was his girlfriend or his wife and his kid growing up. Has that been touched on no. anywhere else? Or is the... this kind of... The thing
0: about Joker's past is it's always been multiple choice. You know that's that was something obviously leaned into very heavily in the Dark Knight, certainly in in movie movie lore and so forth. But even in the comics, it's always been multiple choice. There's been, and I think that's where the whole idea of three Jokers came from. But that's what I loved about this. It tied back to the Killing Joke and. You know, we we've talked in this podcast before about canon and the importance of it and stuff like that. Sometimes you just need titles to link together. You don't need a whole mythology to link together. And this links perfectly to the killing joke because in it, uh obviously the as he is a comedian at the time, he thinks his you know, his wife to be is dead and lost the baby and stuff like that. What's interesting about that though as well is it also builds on the mythology of Batman helping to create the Joker because he helps hide the wife and kid who may have grounded this this guy and actually supported him and he might not have evolved into the Joker so uh, I love that it's a wee bit of a play on that as well
2: so uh, there it's... was a, a briefcase with the, the initials J W. no idea no
0: clue trying to th- I don't think they ever gave his name away in a killing joke but yeah possibly that might be just like a little little Easter um, but yeah there was a back in,
1: I think it was about 1990. I got a hold of two uh, two paperbacks. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were uh, from Bantam Books, and uh, one was the Further Adventures of Batman, and the other was the Further Adventures of the Joker. And they were they were both edited by Martin Greenberg, and had had stories. You know, had were were anthologies. You know, novels, anthology stories. Uh, I think they're considered non canonical by by DC, but. I'm nearly sure there was a story about the Jokers family or something about the Jokers family in that.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, I must try and track those down, actually. You might be interested in them on. No, definitely. Sounds like my kind of thing. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it it even plays into the idea, I don't know if you remember in issue two, where the Jokers daydreaming about his wife and kid. Maybe he has an inkling that they're alive out there somewhere, but he just doesn't want that life anymore. You know what I mean? Because obviously it's, it's just an artistic choice. But, you know, the kid looks exactly like the kid at the end of this. And the wife obviously knew what she looked like anyway. But I even like that idea of, yeah, that life's not for me. Not anymore sort mm. of thing, you know. So that's what I mean. Just there's great depth to it. And I think there's there's still tons to unearth and explore in there. So, yeah, really, really dug it and lived up to every expectation. If you haven't had a chance to get it, we've still got copies of the, the single issues in store. But it is also available in trade now as well. Well, hardcover now as well. So we'll change tact slightly then and go on to yourself then, Patty. What was your favorite title from the 20th of October?
2: Really tough week to pick a favorite title because... Mm-hmm. Welcome so to
0: the podcast. Every week a <laughs> tough week.
2: I mentioned earlier about giving up on Spider-Man. I had messaged Alan a couple of weeks ago after issue three of Strange Academy saying I wanted to drop it off my pool. Uh, I went in store, seen it on the shelf, picked it up, read it, loved it, put it back on the pool. Uh, So yeah, I went with episode four of Strange Academy, uh, story by Scotty Young and art by Humberto Ramos. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. Mm -hmm. I I think the reason I went to all Strange Academy was because there was just so many characters. I didn't think they were, I thought they were struggling to try and, you know, I, I didn't connect with all the characters.
1: Yeah, it's a big uh, ensemble cast. There's like there's like 10 or 12 characters in there.
2: Yeah, I think when you, you, you know, luckily enough, I think it's a brilliant idea. The first page of every issue is just recapping who the characters are.
3: Yeah, yep.
2: Because I have a terrible memory, and month on month, I'm not remembering their names. <laughs> uh, but yeah, this one kind of starts off, they introduce uh, what looks like it's going to be a, an ongoing villain called The Hollow, which is something I thought it was missing. You know, they needed kind of someone for them to to go up against on, hopefully, you know, a long story arc. Uh, but yeah, it was just a really fun issue. They they kind of spend the, the issue playing an interdimensional game of tag. Uh, some really cool cameos in here. You have Spiderman popping up. Uh, they end up in Asgard and Wereworld. Uh, the bit that really got me, and the reason I added it back to the pool, was the, the main character... She uh, Emily ends up quite randomly in Doctor Strange's basement, and mm. it turns out he's keeping someone or something locked up in his basement.
1: Yeah, this uh, this sort of harks back to uh, to a previous run of uh, of Doctor Strange that was, I think, was it Umberto Ramos was it wasn't it was Chris Batchelor was was drawn it, and I can't remember who it was on writing uh it escapes me but yeah there's it harks back to that uh to that run I think um can't remember how it but at that point it was very much about the cost of magic and how how uh how doctor Strange every time he ca- he cast a spell he was deferring the cost and was 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 deferring the cost to uh, a, a dark self that he was keeping in the basement Ah. Uh, so I don't know if there's, you know, and whenever the door was opened, of course, this thing was like, my God, you've been using me to 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 settle all your debts, you know, with magic, you know. So that so it, that's the first thing it reminded me of, you yeah. know. But yeah, there's there's definitely strange things in Stephen Strange's basement.
2: I think the Hollow pick up on that at the very start, don't they? Say something that their veins and creatures that crawl up them have been poisoned by the rot of man and drained by the power of the bottom feeders of magic. So I wonder if it's going to tie in that way. Maybe when they use magic, they're destroying the environment. Possibly,
4: yeah, it you know? could be,
1: could be, you know. Um, yeah, and I mean, I, I, I foresee, uh, you know, whenever you see swamps and, and all of that, you you think Swamp Thing, and then and Marvel, when you think Swamp Thing, you think Man-Thing. Uh, so I don't know if he's going to be turning up, um, especially with Toth there. Toth is that that character from Wild World, and he, he bears a striking resemblance to Man-Thing um
2: i I think as well what it reminds me off a bit is is this could this be marvel's answer to harry potter and hogwarts
1: could be i mean there's definitely an element of 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 that i mean let's let you should probably point out that that harry potter and hogwarts wasn't the the first time that there was ever a a a school of magic (laughs) for kids uh posited in pop culture but uh you know what it reminds me of is generation x whenever generation x started uh, it was uh, the school for young mutants and it was in the massachusetts academy and it had a a large uh, cast of uh, of unknown characters uh, you know that had been in and out variously of x-men books and it was slightly removed you know from it was slightly removed from from you know what was going on in x-men but the the headmaster and the headmistress were Banshee and uh, and Emma Frost, and so there's a lot of there's a lot of the same setup, the same sort of setup going on, if you know what I mean. So the the the, the faculty are well known, or are, 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 yeah. are known characters. The the students are unknown characters. I I just I think it, it suits Scotty Young and it suits Umberto Ramos, and I think you're right. I think they're really starting to pull things together. Um, you see a wee bit of the. Let's see the this issue, the next issue, you see a wee bit of the. Sort of grating between uh, between Brother Voodoo and uh, and uh, Doctor Strange as well, you know, and Doctor Strange sort of maybe not being quite as invested in the school as 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 the other faculty is, you know, because he's running off being the Sorcerer Supreme. It's it's really good stuff. It's really good stuff.
2: I think the speculators had it quite happy when it first came out. I think it came out just before I got into comics issue one. I know it was going for kind of extortionate prices and the the character variants as well. I know number two had Doyle, who I think is probably the best drawn character. Mm. You know, just <laughs> Doyle Dermamu yeah, Dermamu's <laughs> kid. I <laughs> <laughs> yeah. really enjoyed this. Think it's it's setting up good things, and I'm glad I learned my lesson from coming off Spider Man too early because I uh, really really enjoying it.
1: I just have one question for you, Paddy. Did you fill in the permission slip at the end for the upcoming field trip <laughs> to Asgard?
2: I didn't, just on the odd chance that this becomes a very expensive issue. <laughs> I don't really fancy signing at the CGC to get graded uh, and see a that I, Paddy, steal the parent Guardian off.
1: You know? Yeah, I get you. It's, uh, I don't know if you've, you've seen this, Alan, or if you're on this book
0: at all, are you? Oh, yeah, I've been reading it from the start as well. It's uh, It's just a crack in all ages title. It's, um, it's one that it's an interesting counterpoint to three jokers, I think, and that this one for me is just pure entertainment, pure escapism, pure imagination. You know, it's it's not trying to reinvent the wheel or anything like that. But Scotty Young as as we know is is maturing into a brilliant writer. You know, obviously we, we do nothing but extol the virtues of Middle West and recommend it to anybody who'll listen. So he's he's very good storyteller. And I think Patty's right. I think the danger with this book was that once you introduced ten, twelve characters. How are you going to give them all their moment in the sun every issue? But he's he's juggling it well, I think.
1: It definitely is, and and I think you're exactly right. I think, you know, the first page is, is the is the song. I think I think Marvel do this very very well as they you know their 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 recap pages. Uh, whenever they do it well, they do it very well. Um, and then the second page. I mean, I don't like losing two pages on it, but the second page where you've got the headshots of all the characters, you know. Um, but they're all I mean, they're they're really all starting to develop their, their their personalities, you know, and and figure out, you know, where they're from. You know, Emily, she's the she's the more human, uh, normal, sort of slightly goody two shoes, you know, whereas Doyle Dormammu is the son of Dormammu, who is clearly going through the oh my god, I'm Dormammu's son and I'm gonna be a demon and I'm having <laughs> you know, I've got a fate planned out, you know, so and you've got the twins that are from Asgard who are both, you know, Beautiful Asgardian hipsters, <laughs> you know, all that. So it's good stuff, it really is. I'm, I'm really starting to, to pin down the characters now, but
2: yeah, there as well. There's a, a bit when uh, Zoe somebody takes Zoe's necklace off her and she's dead, she's almost like a corpse. Mm. The, the necklace is keeping her young, you know. I thought that was interesting. You know, there, there's backstories there for characters that. You can see this going on a long time. You know, I I never knew Scotty Young was a writer. I only can really news covers, which I know Vicky is a massive fan of Scotty Young's she's, art covers. She's uh,
0: collected a few. She's collected a few. It's, it's yeah. It's something it's that just it's, all it's, as soon as she sees it on an invoice, it it's coming home like
2: <laughs> home and friend. Yeah,
0: I mean, I, I can probably angle my, you know, I can probably angle this a little bit more. But if you look up there towards the ceiling, there's yeah. there's signs Scotty Young and and all sorts. So yeah, it's a, it's an easy gift, you know. Just find a rare Scotty Young cover, you know. If if when I can't get her to artwork, you know. So uh, but yeah, no, great choice, man. Um, yeah, I love the art on it. Humberto Ramos. Is, uh, it it's nice to see Humberto Ramos and maybe you can correct me on this maybe i'm wrong keith but humberto ramos to me always seems like the artist you brought in when the mainline artist wasn't doing the work he's a brilliantly capable spider-man artist but he only seems to be brought in when the head artist isn't working on it if you know what i mean like he came in when ryan otley was struggling a wee bit at the start of amazing spider-man he came in and did some gap filling i think during uh uh, Dan Slot's run as well but again I could be totally wrong on this it's just the impression I get but it's nice to see him on a series from the start that is as dependent on his art style as it is on Scotty Young's writing
1: yeah I mean I think you're I think you're right there I think uh, uh, this is really his his moment to shine I think I think Scotty Young is great at choosing artists that uh, that synergize with his writing you know what I mean and uh, I mean if Scotty, won, Scotty Young wasn't writing this he could very easily be illustrating
0: it yeah very much so
1: you know and uh, it was the same with uh with uh jorge corona on uh middle west. on the middle west yeah absolutely so yeah great stuff great stuff
0: cool so that was paddy's first choice then so that was for the 20th of october strange academy number four so what have you got for us keith then for to rounding or to round out i should say the 20th of october
1: well, I have uh, to round out the twenty eighth of October. I have Wind number five uh, to round out that particular series, um, or at least this arc of it. So, uh, Wind is uh, James Tynion the fourth and uh, Michael Dialinus Sorry, um, and it's there. It's kind of nearly a, it's nearly like a
0: like a high fantasy epic sort of thing. On um, all ages high fantasy, that yeah. was always an oversized issue as well, which
1: yeah, is interesting for book, yeah. you know. Yeah, and it's, I mean, I, I do. I know we're we're spoiler filled, but I mean, we have what we have is this really, it really comes really coming to a head. You know, it's 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 the end of the arc. Uh, I mean, I was over the moon uh, to uh, to finish the book and see that wind will return in book two, the secret of the wings, issue six in May twenty twenty one. Uh, so uh, you know Boom have done they've done the first five issues they've obviously gone well this is going well uh, James Tennant obviously has more story to tell so I mean the book starts it's all about the division between between uh, magic users and non-magic users or, or magic races and non-magic races and they've done a really good job of of telling the backstory and the mythology of the world uh, which they did in issue three I think issue three or four uh, and you know so so wind is this is this boy who's been living in pipe town with his surrogate family he's uh in love at a distance with uh, yorick uh a uh, a gardener's son and uh and uh i guess best friend of of uh certain or no, not yorick yorick's the prince isn't it uh the best friend of the prince um but anyway it's it's progressed and uh things have gone from bad to worse. Uh, You know, wind is having these nightmares about He's all he's got is these wee pointy elf ears, you know, but uh, that marks him as, as, as marked by magic. And as a result, he is outlawed and hunted in, in pipe town and in the city by edict of the King. And uh, the King sends the bandaged man, uh, who's a really awesome character, really visually awesome character uh, to, uh, to hunt down creatures of magic. So, we learn finally who the Bandaged Man is in this issue, what the Bandaged Man is, and that was uh,
0: quite the revelation as well.
1: It was quite the revelation, yeah. Really enjoyed it, and uh, you know, made sense relative to the to the visual um, and added a wee bit more to the to the story. And uh, I mean, yeah, it's the last issue, so I don't want to I don't want to spoil it, but it just everything just comes to a head. the uh, the relationship between the characters. Uh, when's quest you know his it's, it's about it's about the struggle to I guess to come to terms with who and what you are uh, you know it's and, 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 and really become comfortable with with yourself and uh, accepting of yourself um, you know and and when does this in a you know in a number of ways that's it's really interesting there's some there's some payoffs from the first issues uh, with the uh, with the spurtles. Um, the spritles or spurtles, what are they called? Spritles,
0: I think it might the, be spritles, uh, yeah. Sprite sort of take on sprites, I suppose. Sprites,
1: yeah. Uh-huh. So, so, yeah, and a lot more, but uh, yeah, just a really lovely, a really lovely, uh, really lovely final issue. Uh, just rounding off the arc. Anybody else on this?
2: Yeah, yeah. I, I, I again think it's fantastic. Uh, you know, it's, I almost wonder, a where does James Tinian get the tang? and b how can he go from writing a PG title like wind and then you're reading an issue of something's killing the children where a child <laughs> is getting four and half and you're, you know, then somebody asked Tom Taylor very recently on Twitter, the same, you know, how do you, how do you, you know, do this? And he said, it's, it's just his way of writing. He needs to keep himself entertained. He needs to be able to switch from, you know, slaughter to killing people to an HP family title where everybody's in love. <laughs> you know but yeah it, it, it's fantastic I, I think there's more to the prince than we're, we're seeing I don't know if he's been has he looks evil to me he just looks like you know if I didn't know the issue and I picked it up I would point to him and go he's the villain
1: yeah yeah, I Luke, yeah. You know? so yeah. I'm
2: wondering if, has that been done on purpose and then that bit kind of towards the end where he says your Highness, the Duke awaits in Northport. We're here at your command. And he said, then take us north. Mm-hmm. Is that going against their plans or was that their plans?
1: Oh, yeah, actually, you're, that's a fair point. That's a very fair point. Um, hmm. I mean, the the, the the prince seems to be coming around there at the end, you know. he's. Yeah. You know, but what's going on there? And, uh, you know, is is there a jealousy thing maybe going on? As well, since since wind and the gardener seem to be hitting it off quite well. That was going the... to be the
2: next question. Do you think there will be a a, a blossoming romance there? You know, there's a bit where he looks at him and he goes, "I like your wings."
1: Yeah, you know, that's like, right. Yeah,
2: yeah. And then he says about dinner, and you know, it, it's made clear that you know wind fancies him. There's you know he, that's made clear in issue one, but it's just a case of does the gardener fancy him back?
1: Yeah, that's that's very very true now. I've sort of lost track of uh, of where it was. They were where where it was. They were going and what direction? Yeah,
2: that's exactly. um, When I was rereading this, it just before we came on, it it skimmed through five. I have four upstairs, but it couldn't.
1: Mm. Yeah, interesting. I must. Uh, I must take a wee look at that, Paddy. Good point. Good point. I
2: think it was the fact they finished on it before the epilogue. That was the point where I went. Mm, is that a twist?
0: hmm mm. A none too subtle twist. Well, this is the the perfect epitome of you know our our mantra of following creators because as you say, you you set this beside Department of Truth and the, beside something is killing the children, and beside Batman, you would never link that it's the same yeah. writer across all four titles. So it's a it's a great sign of his versatility. And uh, yeah, Wind was a great one. Wind was was one of those surprise releases as well. It only got solicited two weeks before it came out. And it was like, a, yeah, it was like a mystery James Tinian title. And, you know, I just, I ordered big enough on it and it, it, it sold out and it found an audience. But I was really pleased to see the issue end with uh, volume two coming soon. So I was, mm-hmm. I was yeah, very great. happy at that. So uh, great. another winner from Tinian the fourth. So, yep, that is wind number five then. So that was Keith's pick then for the 28th of October. So we're going to move on to the following release week, which was the 4th of November, um, or as it says in my notes, 4th of November. Uh, I must have messed up there. But for this week, it was a a bit of an even split for me with what I had um, with DC and Marvel. But again, indie led the way uh, with 12 indie ones. So it's no surprise that an indie title was the one that took it for me this week. We talked in the podcast before, about a really great zombie title called Year Zero, which was from Benjamin Percy and Juan José Rip, And this was one of the titles that helped launch the imprint AWA, or Artist, Writers, Artisans. And we loved Year Zero. It was a really unique take at a zombie apocalypse. It was, you know, I love The Walking Dead, and I'm thoroughly, thoroughly enjoying the reread of it from the start through the deluxe issues. But with Walking Dead, it had a very set structure. It was following this group through Middle America. With Year Zero, what's interesting is it looks at people in different corners of the globe. And it looks at people in different social situations. It looks at people at different levels in society. And the first book followed four different characters. But we came back for a volume two. And in this case, this was my pick of the week for this week, which was Year Zero, volume two, issue one. And instead of just continuing the journey of those four characters, it decided to go to another four characters. Uh, the first thing that caught me about this was the cover. I loved the cover of all the zombies basically creating like a, you know, like that old monkey game you used to play where you like hooked all the monkeys together and make like a really long chain.
1: <laughs> wow, that was a wee bit of a blast from a past that,
0: Well, you know, we like to show our age in this podcast every so often, you know, but it's I've just...
1: It. <laughs> that is, that is not That is not the first thing I thought of when I saw that, but now it's... No, you can not see it. it.
0: But yeah, it's this beautiful cover, (laughs) this sort of sun-kissed cover, this military helicopter in front of the sun, and then all these zombies essentially climbing on each other's back just to get to the top. It's also very evocative, I would say, of World War Z or World War Z, whatever you want to call it. See, my mind's much more innocent than that, boys. That's that's what it is. But, uh, yeah, so what it's doing this time is it's focusing on four different corners of the world. So you've essentially got this fisherman in Norway. Uh, you then have this sort of drug cartel, this drug kingpin, El Topo, uh, who is in Colombia, I think, off the top of my head. Then you also have, in a really great nod to Dawn of the Dead, you have a girl who's trapped inside a mall. In Phoenix, Arizona. And then you finish off with a a character in Rwanda. And. You know the zombies almost take second. um, They're almost the secondary part of this story. which Which is true of any good zombie story. I suppose it's always about. The horrors of man and what they do to each other. Even in the most extreme of situations. But. I just absolutely adored this. I think the four new characters are fantastic. I thought the, the fisherman with the two kids in Norway was just an absolute badass so he was. I really like the drug cartel member who's so bored he just goes up in his helicopter and just like... It's almost like he's playing a computer game, like he's playing Modern Warfare or something, just pulls out a chain gun and, you know, let's see how many I can kill today sort of thing. It's the only thing that keeps him entertained. You know, you've, you've got the girl who's bored within the... Uh, within the shopping center as well. And uh yeah, I I just I thoroughly enjoy this. I think it's such a great title. I love that it's self-contained in volumes as well. I think what AWA are are doing so far is just really, really clever and a really good bi- sort of business model for the year. It was nice to get the, the bits and pieces at the back as well with Benjamin Percy talking about how what's happening in the world right now has actually helped shape some of these stories in Year Zero as well. You know, the fact that he finishes off his little sort of essay with the pandemic, after all, isn't going anywhere. We're no longer in the paralyzed holding pattern of March. We're instead figuring out how to live with a deadly virus. Welcome to the new normal. You know, it's uh, so it's a very timely book, I think, and just another great example of uh, AWA's output, I think. Uh, I'm not the only one on this, though, am I? I believe both you guys are on this as well.
2: I'm not, I'm going to trade read it. I done the same with volume one. I think if I had to read volume one week on week, I probably would have give up because I didn't think you were getting enough of each character. You were getting maybe three or four pages. So when I read volume one complete, I absolutely loved it, thought it was brilliant. So I'm I'm going to do that, I think, with all of AWA's titles. As you said, when they're released on, on paperback, they're, they're a nine pound pickup, you know. You're getting—I I don't think I've read a bad one yet. I think of all of collection one they've released on February as well. There's another wave coming, I believe.
0: Yeah, there is indeed. You'll be getting uh, the likes of American Runin in February. You'll be getting Devil's Highway. You'll That's be getting—you'll yeah. be getting some great titles. There. I mean, American is one we've certainly talked about very highly in this in this parish, as they say. But
3: uh, <laughs> yeah,
1: it's very stylish. Yeah, I mean, I. I think I enjoyed this first issue more than I enjoyed the first issue of Volume One.
0: Yeah, one uh,
1: that. I think, uh, yeah, I think as as Benjamin Percy says in that in that essay at the back, you know, if 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 Walking Dead is a microscope, you know, then then Year Zero was a telescope. You know, it, it and and not only does it cross geographically across the world it's it's it, it crosses all kinds of humanity you know the, the the characters that they're sampling here and i'll just just a, a very quick uh a very quick correction there alan the uh the fisherman at the start is in fact uh, a grandmother uh the uh the the kids use the term bestemor which is uh, a norwegian term for grandmother so she is their grandmother, I believe. Uh, she's a she's a swarthy looking uh, swarthy looking uh, Fisher person, uh, but uh, but yeah, for sure. Um, so I enjoyed. I really enjoyed. Uh, really enjoyed that. I really enjoyed the uh, El Topo in Colombia, as you say. I think that's the uh, Pablo Escobar character. Oh yeah, uh, you know for sure. And uh, it's just that he's completely bored. I think he is the potentially has the potential to become a hero. Uh, and that. Um, you know, there's the uh the the bulk buying that uh that Tina Pumper is stuck in, in in Phoenix, Arizona, and that obviously casts your mind back to Dawn of the Dead, which all took place in a in a uh in a shopping mall. Uh that's so that's where she's uh she's she's holed up and eating junk food and throwing up because she's not doing so well there. Um Rwanda, yeah, that's so it's really it is really interesting looking at how uh you know, looking at how these things are going. And I think, you know, what was really interesting there at the end of the uh, the Norwegian story, Alan, mm-hmm. you know, where the, uh, the men on the boat appear. Yeah. And you nearly get the impression that they're more of a threat than the zombies that were yeah, caught in their nets. That's, you know? that's
0: exactly it. It's, it's even when the world is at its absolute worst, the horror of man will still, you know, come to the fore. Mm-hmm. You know, you have resources, we want them, even though this little sort of, this little fishing boat that they're on they have next to nothing you know the the kids are always complaining about like fish i'm sick of fish you know it's you Ooh. know it's almost quite humble where they live but i do love where they <laughs> the little kids is basically trying to shoot down a seagull with his uh slingshot and he actually Ooh. hits the seagull and the seagull drops a, a zombie hand that it has in its mouth <laughs> <laughs> onto, um,
1: onto it. i think the other interesting thing about that particular story is she's really keen and using this excuse to go back to the old ways, the old ways of living and eating and dressing, the old rituals and the old myths.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, we honour them and we hope not to anger the old gods. Um, I liked, your, uh, I liked your, uh, your metaphor there about him and uh, and playing war games. Yeah. You know, playing a computer game, you know. So, uh, yeah, really, really interesting. There's so I'm really interested in all four of these stories. You know, there was in, in Volume 1 there was some that I was more interested in and some I was less interested in. But, yeah, you've got something to look forward to in this one, Paddy.
2: Brilliant.
0: I also like the little nod. You can see the uh, preview for issue two, and it's a fishing boat with Zombie Killer on the side of it, uh, set against this really blue backdrop. And it's essentially a play on issue one of volume one, which was the, the camper van uh, with Zombie fun. Killer on it, which I thought was quite subtle as well. Yeah. I so, got a
2: very nice CGC off yourself, Alan, for issue one.
0: You do indeed. That was a, uh,
2: that was a uh, mean, Yeah, I, didn't, I
1: didn't notice that. I didn't notice that, Alan. That's fantastic. You know what, though? You see, if I hear the term "new normal" anymore, going to
2: blow me toe earlier to start. I said it earlier to start of the podcast and hit myself for it.
0: Yeah. Well, I was simply quoting someone I was not saying it myself, just as my well, cat. Well,
1: you know, it does advertise issue to you as death as that, Mm-mm, you know. So.
0: <laughs> well, why don't we go away from zombie stories and go back to the realm of superheroes, but not in a way you might expect. What was your pick, Patty, for 4th of November?
2: Crossover number one by Mr. Donnie Hates and Jeff Shaw. Uh, Although it was my pick for the week, Alan very kindly provided me with a Advanced copy was it three weeks then before it was released? Yeah, it was a, good uh, a bit weeks, of yeah. a quick review for for the website. Uh, it's been a long, long wait for issue two. Uh, <laughs> it's almost two months I've been waiting.
0: Yeah, that is but the one yeah, thing with know, these advanced copies, isn't it?
2: Crossover is one of these ones where I I kind of finished it and I've no idea where the story's going to go. I can think of five or six possibilities. Uh, we're set in a world where, uh, effectively, a summer comic book blockbuster event comes to Earth, uh, Colorado, in 2007, I believe. Uh, 2017. Uh, yeah, so it's a it's it's brilliant. I enjoyed it. I, I think the art and it's fantastic. There's so many Easter eggs. There's so many. Is that was that. Is that something you I think it is? A uh, story looks like it's going to follow three characters. I can, I'm guessing we're going to follow three characters. We've got uh, Eva, who is the girl from... Actually, she should probably start with the main character, Ellie. Looks like Ellie is... We're, we're now living in a world in the modern day where people hate masks and not the type of masks that we're used to. Uh, I actually had a bit of a, a bit of a giggle reading this because there's a saying <laughs> outside the church where it said God Hates Masks. Uh, obviously, <laughs> preferring the superheroes. So Um You know what's
1: say. interesting about that sign, Patty? You see that sign is that sign that says God Hates Masks, and below it it says LowBaptist Yep. If you go to that it goes straight to uh to Donny Kate's uh, merchants merch site. <laughs>
2: See, I tried it last night, but I must have put I in instead of L, and I got you know the Virgin <laughs> Media. This website doesn't exist. Ah,
0: uh, yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. Uh, but yeah, you know. So from there, that she, she kind of goes in the the comic book store. There's something I need to ask is about this as well that I'm not too sure about. Uh, they find a character who isn't from this world. She's very pixelated. So well done. Mm. It's all, mm. when I was reading it on the first time. Uh, I remember just stopping and staring at that one page, just thinking, that looks fantastic. Yeah. Uh, yeah, from there, the store's attacked. Uh, this pixelated girl then tells Allie that there's someone who's getting people out from inside the dome. Sorry, so I said Colorado. Then a superhero has decided to put Colorado under a dome to keep all the superheroes in and presumably to keep everybody else out. Mm -hmm. Uh, someone's getting him out she she doesn't know his name and then kind of at the end she draws a picture which I mean you put two and two together you get it's Superman Uh, I know that it's image comics so there's going to be image I'm hoping we get a lot of invincible characters coming up you know Donny Cates has said he's going to use characters that he's he's used previously and they they expect lots of surprises but I don't know if we're going to get a crossover crossover I don't know if will Marvel and DC give image permission to known <laughs> <maybe, yes, ignore laughs> superheroes. Uh... <laughs> That's just...
1: I don't know. That would be that, that would be my,
2: That was that... my first question to Alan whenever whenever I'd finished reading it, Alan Alan went in the store and Alan's like do you want to read a bit about it? He goes, I read it. I want to ask you this question, you know, do you, but I can't spoil it for you and I'm like, listen, send it to me, I'll read it, I read it. And that was the first question we kind of had, you know, could this happen?
0: Especially given the amount of noises he's been making on Twitter about it. and Yeah, I, I do wonder if Image would almost facilitate this and there would be a DC Marvel crossover, but I don't know. We might be reading too much into it, but I also think that Donny Cates is very deliberate in what he does. I think that certain characters that are drawn in there in certain ways are there for a reason. So it's it's an idea to get excited about, but even if it is something that's going to happen... I would imagine will be far down the line because he won't want to take focus off his series, which is crossover. So that'll be it. What yeah, I will Justin.
2: say is there was talk of footage. You know, any time someone mentions seeing a superhero, it's always they, the footage, you know, you never see so far you haven't seen anybody saying, oh yeah, I saw a superhero. It's everyone saying I saw it in footage. So mm-hmm. part of me's is thinking, Is there is there an angle to that? But what I wanted to ask you is was the t shirt the guy in the comic book store is only Wortham was right,
1: yeah. So, Frederick Wortham, who's quoted at the start of the book, uh, so there's two quotes at the start of the book which I thought were fantastic counterpoints. Uh, Frederick Wortham was a psychologist, uh, wrote a very famous book on the brain, but uh, was very much uh, in opposition to pop culture and particularly comic books and what they could do, what he felt they could do to the minds of kids. And in fact, Frederick Wortham was behind the Comics Code Authority, uh, which was a, a stamp that uh, a lot of comics accepted in the 60s to show that they contained no no content that would be potentially, uh, you know, would potentially warp kids' minds. Yeah. Uh, you know. So that's who that's who Frederick Wortham was. Uh, you know. But the the other quote was from Trod McFarlane. The first quote is, uh, the world of comic book is the world of the strong, the ruthless, the bluffer, the shrewd deceiver, the torture, and the thief. In comic books, life is worth nothing. There is no dignity of a human being. That's Frederick Wortham in The Seduction of the Innocent. The counterpoint is, kids love chains. Todd McFarlane. <laughs> <laughs> so, but yeah, it's, uh, oh, I, I love this. I thought it was class. The, you know, the first thing that it, uh, so, yeah, sorry to answer your question. You know, your man's wearing it as a, you know, as a, as a, as a, the, the guy in the comic shop, you know, you've already sort of got a nick of his character, you know, but yeah. where he's wearing that T-shirt in an ironic way, you know, that the Comics Code Authority was right, you know, Wortham was right, comic books do uh, warp children's yeah, minds, man. you know, so, uh, so yeah, but, no, you know, I, I mean, I thought it was great. The first thing that came to mind, and I think I mentioned it to you, Alan, was uh, a series that Mark Miller wrote in uh a bunch of years ago called uh, marvel 1985 and in that story the original secret wars crossover pushes through into our world through a comic book that a kid's reading in 1985 uh you know so there's there's definite similarities there and i'll, t- I'll pull it out for you and, and bring it down the next time i'm i'm up home at the at the main collection i said i would and i completely forgot because i was bringing you a big pile of spider-man um but uh yeah, I mean, I thought this was great, as you say, Paddy. You know, uh, it's kind of I'm, I'm wondering what Donny Cates is. I mean, obviously he's making a he's making a comment about, uh, you know, big summer superhero events in in the big two and how they, you know, they they have grown so big that they have burst out of the comic books. <laughs> you know, they, they they've gone grown to a ridiculous, <laughs> you know, level that they've they've burst out of the comic books and into the real world. Um, so there's something to be said there, and as you say, you know, in, in, in July 11, 2017, Denver, Colorado was invaded, and then one of the supers put a big uh, put a big dome over Denver, Colorado, uh, and yeah, and Eva, you know, clearly there's there's someone in there that's that's letting people escape, and and what do they call them? What is the the term they use for supers? Uh, but even for the uh, for the the, the people. Uh, what do they call? It's one of them, the Fex. They call them Fex. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, and they're they're coloured in that in that way that they used to, you know. But yeah, and then you're you're you've got them, you've got that counterpointed with the you know the religious right who are outside, you know, boycotting the store, pray keeps away, you know, and all that sort of stuff. And there's there's a lot going on here, and there's a there's a real focus on well, first of all, it's her name is Ellipsis Howell. You know uh, that that that's Ellie's full name. Ellipses yeah. and ellipses are you know whenever you're they're the three dots you know dot dot dot. Yep. Yeah, whenever and usually they denote you know the omission of a word or the omission of a piece of text or a, you know so and there's an awful lot of of that in there. You know you see Donny Cates you know he, he he's adopted this symbol for this for this book and it's very much associated with this book. The back page is just the three dots. You know, so I'm I'm wondering what's going on here. What it, you know about? I don't I don't know yet. It's only one SGM, but yeah, I really loved this. I thought it was great. What about you, Alan?
0: Yeah, I mean, as ever, Donny Cates is a is a great ideas man. It was great to see him back with his God Country collaborator Jeff Shaw. I think they work really really well together. Mm. I I thoroughly enjoyed. I mean, for me, the three dots at the end were just to signify the fact that, yep, that is Superman on that opposite page. Dot dot dot. What does it mean? You know, because. It's not coincidental. Donny Cates is—he's not mischievous, if you know what I mean. I—I I get the feeling anything Donny Cates puts in a comic is there for a reason, and that's why, like, because surely DC's lawyers would be on the phone right now. That's,
2: that's <laughs> why I was going to say. I mean, surely in terms of copyright, hi, you know, it's Marvel and DC are mentioned. You know, both are mentioned, kind of, in the book when the comic book store mentions it. it starts the book starts off with. Who's more real, us or Superman? But yeah, the, yeah, I, yeah. I, I don't know where it's going to go. I, I I think there'd be some sort of is Elle's parents. They died, did they in Colorado?
1: They died in a they died in Colorado. Colorado. Yeah, and they, I mean, there's a there's an entire page there where they talk about her name. You know, uh, yeah. Ellipse is a weird name. Uh, the ellipses are the great unknown. Her mother took those three little dots, and then that's the next thing she says whenever she sees the God's, God's Hate Mask poster. She doesn't say it. She just, yeah, so yeah, there's a, I think there's a lot going on here, and I'm really interested in, uh, in where it's going. I'm, I'm along for the ride. Um, I also picked up, you know, it's not something to do very often, but uh, I picked up that, uh, that variant cover, Alan, for the reason that it was to support Local comic book shops.
0: Yeah, that was the the, uh, the, the the Ben Oliver one. That yeah. was uh, essentially done a very low print run. It was uh, just over five hundred of them were printed, and it was all set up by a guy who owns a comic store over in England, uh, Jeff Chattle, and then shipped out to comic stores to sort of help you know regenerate funds and you know help support comic stores and so forth. It's an interesting one in that. You know, I probably sound preachy any time I say this, but, you know, it's some—it's one of the core values I like to think of Coffin Heroes is that everything sold at cover price on release day. And, you know, we had these at cover price and we sold out of them within a week. You know, I, I still see other comic stores who have them, you know, we've still got copies left, but they're selling them at like double cover price. Mm-hmm. You know, it's its just like, you know, reward your regulars, give them something nice and special. They support you, you support them. and. You know, that sort of thing. But it's a lovely cover I've got. There was also a golden bossed one that gets sent to us as well. I've got it sent off to uh CGC at the moment, so we'll we'll see what that comes back with. So but yeah, brilliant first issue. You know, Kate's is just a great ideas man and it's it's great to see that you know, we, we talked about it I think before, you know, when we were talking about how Thor isn't gonna, you know, go into Kingdom Black. It's nice to see him consistently go. I'm not just the Venom guy. I have other ideas. <laughs> so, uh,
1: uh, did you notice? I'm sure. I'm sure it didn't pass you by, Patty, But did you notice the T-shirt that uh, Ellie was wearing? Invincible. Invincible. I yeah, know. absolutely. So, uh, I'm gonna see. read it, Keith. You don't <laughs> have to go <laughs> on about
0: that's
2: the series that Alan hasn't read. That's the one that he hasn't read yet. <laughs> yeah.
0: You know, you're still on trial here, Paddy. I would. Uh, I would be careful. <laughs> just, <laughs> <sure>. <laughs> You're throwing the threats out the night, Alice I tell it. you, I tell you. Cool, so that was Paddy's pick then for 4th of November, so that was Crossover number 1 by Donny Cates and Jeff Shaw. And how about you then, Keith, you finish this off then for the 4th of November, what have you got for yeah, us?
1: Yeah, I'm swinging into ADW uh, country here for Stranger Things and Dungeons and Dragons number 1 of 4 uh, by Jody Hauser and Jim Zub uh, Diego uh, Galindo uh, on line art um, and uh, I really enjoyed this really enjoyed this i mean obviously this was a a shoe in for me it says dungeons and dragons in the front that's a crossover with stranger things you know so obviously dungeons and dragons has been a, a large part of the stranger things mythos if you've been watching the show on netflix or if you've watched the show on netflix the this the you know the uh the show opens with the kids playing dungeons and dragons which was a real nod to et uh steven spielberg uh you know because obviously Stranger Things was a big love letter to a lot of those Spielberg movies as well, but but ET also uh, opens with Elliot and his friends playing Dungeons and Dragons. Um, so yeah, so this sort of explores, you know, and uh, you know, a lot of the Stranger Things then story, certainly in the first season, and and you know, Dungeons and Dragons is what connects them, and 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 how they cope with what's what's going on. So this follows the crew from Hawkins. As they discover the legendary monsters and epic adventures of the Dungeons Dragons tabletop role playing game together, so it's not a, it's not really a, a stranger thing. As such, it's really about them, as I say, just dis- discovering the game. And you know what? I, I don't know, but Alan's tried tried a wee bit of of gaming. I don't know if you've, Paddy, ever dabbled, but
2: never tried it. Uh, yeah, it's something I've kind of always. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, know quite a few, I know quite a few people who have played it and absolutely swear at and love it. And it's people who you would never in a million years,
1: yeah, yeah, not you, the know, people you
2: would expect, associate it with it. It's, it's yeah, kind uh-huh. of, yeah, it's something I'm always down for trying at some point, you know. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. So, so yeah, it starts in 1981. And the, you know, the crew, obviously, the, the Stranger Things crew are, are, uh, kind of, you know, you stereotypical 80s nerds, you know, and, uh, they, a couple of them are running away and they, uh, they find their way into this old bookshop and in this old bookshop, this dude's setting up a war game, you know, and then he introduces them just to get rid of them. Really. He introduces them to the, the concept of Dungeons and Dragons. So they, they get a whole lot of their old books and they go and try and sell them and and get the old, uh, the old first copy of uh, blue box, first edition Dungeons and Dragons. And then it's about how they set out trying to, to play it and trying to create characters and let their imaginations grow, go wild, you know, and, uh, you know, if you remember, you know, and I guess this is where they meet Dustin as well. So the, the other three are already together, uh, you know, when they start to see the world through the lens of Dungeons & Dragons, you know, it becomes an explosion of excitement for them and an ever-changing puzzle, you know, as they're meeting people in the corridors of school. They're like, yep, she's a Medusa or he's a Satter, <laughs> or she's an Unleashed Devourer. Uh, you know, the, the bullies are trolls, you know. So it's so they meet Dustin and Dustin's already he's he's a huge uh, stats genius, you know, and uh, so he immediately he's in, you know, and uh, it's just, it's a really lovely, lovely book Uh, it it was really nice to be reintroduced to the kids from Stranger Things before Stranger Things so it is a prequel Uh, but it was also really, really interesting to see Dungeons and Dragons through the through the eyes of those kids uh, which I really enjoyed, you know, Will the Wise Lucas the Lion, Dustin of Dwarf Home uh, and all of that just yeah just uh, and uh, there's a whole lot of just wee uh, nods towards the uh you know the the series and and the wee things in the series and, and really really enjoyed the first issue really enjoyed the first issue um so i'll be interested to see to see where it goes you know uh yeah it's it's so good and I, part of it is is harkened back to my youth you know and you know they've they've reproduced the boxes the tsr boxes from dungeons and dragons you know and and stuff that i still have in my shelf in the attic at home yeah you know so there's definitely a, a wee a wee bit of that but uh but uh one of the other guys from the shop uh you know messaged me and said keith have you read this yet and at the point at that point i hadn't uh he was thinking about getting it because he's also a role player you know and uh and uh, whenever I read it, and Jim Zob's involved. You know, Jim zub has been involved in a lot of the stuff we're we're reading at the minute, Conan, and uh, and he was involved in Avengers: No Surrender and a whole lot of stuff. But uh, you know, I when I, once I read it, I emailed him straight back and went, "Yep, absolutely, pick this up. You'll love it." So uh, yeah, just really, really good fun. It's it's four issues. Um, they uh, just like Stranger, just like Strange Academy, actually, uh, with which it shares the you know the strange. The, uh, the back page is uh, you know was a character sheet from the game of the kids characters in yeah. this back in the back issue of this it's uh, it's Will the wise and it's the old first edition dra- Dungeons and dragons uh, character sheet so yeah very very good good stuff so taste
2: really, yeah, part of me was worried it was just simply going to be a bit of a caution you know it, that's what, what it was worried about you know we'll, we'll, we'll just brand this stranger things and and hope people pick it up. I,
1: I I guess there there would be the danger of that, and 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 certainly it wouldn't be the first time we've seen something like that. But certainly, from my point of view, uh, as a I mean, I'm the target market for this, you know. Uh, but I mean, Jodie Houser's on it. She was did she write the the previous? I think she's done all of the Stranger Things yeah. comics so far. That's what I thought. So I mean, if the if the the existing writers on it, then it's you know, and I don't see Jim Zub. Really getting themselves attached to something that's yeah. purely a cash in, yeah. It's going to be an interesting four issues. I don't know where they're going to take it, you know, or if it's if it is going to get into the realm of of actual monsters or or what. But uh, it could it could toddle along like this, and I'd be happy as Larry.
0: Cool. So case pick them for the fourth of November. Stranger Things, Dungeons and Dragons, number one. So that's going to move us on then to the 11th of November, and I'm going to keep this in the gravy train rolling. Uh, my title for this month, or for this week, I should say, is something that I must admit I wasn't massively looking forward to. It had it had my curiosity, but I wouldn't really say it was like in my top three, certainly the way we do the podcast for what's coming the following week. But this is a title called Scarantud. Uh, this was a brand new number one from IDW. It's written and drawn by Nick Roche. Uh, Am I saying that right, Nick Roche, or is it Nick Rock? He's a Transformers guy. I would say Roche. I I think it's Roche, but I apologize. That's what I've always heard. That's what I've always heard. I apologize if he's listening to this, and it's actually... You're pronouncing it wrong. Uh, But he's on story and art duties, and then also credited on the front page is Chris O'Halloran, who's on Colors. Uh, Chris O'Halloran has worked on things recently, like Immortal Hulk. He's worked on things like Ice Cream Man. And he's a good fit for this, because what this actually is... Is a horror book and it's an interesting uh, ju- uh, interesting jump from talking about stranger things D&D to this because Hood focuses on four parents rather than the four kids um, who are essentially searching out ghost stories in this sort of small um, backward neighborhood and it's actually set in Ireland but it's not it never specifies where it's set. But you've got so many Irishisms the whole way through this. So you've got like four main characters. So the main guy is called Cormac. And he is essentially a single father. Something tragic has happened to the mum. But you don't quite know what it is at this point. Uh, when he goes to pick up his little girl from school. He overhears like small talk of urban legends between other parents. So you've got a snarky character called Sinead. You've got an exhausted stay-at-home mom called Jem. And then you've got this... The, Clearly the breakout character of the first issue is this grey-haired conspiracy theorist called Flynno, And he's like your stereotypical, I knew a boy who went in there and he never came out, which is something that Cormac, the main character, takes the mick out of all the time. But then he hears of this urban legend that exists of uh, a time that this boy went under the bleachers, essentially, in this preschool. And he never came out. And he's like, this is a load of crap. Oh, yeah, of course, you know this guy. And he's like, yeah, I did. It was my brother and he's never been found. And this is 40 years later. So that's the, that's sort of the basic setup for it. And it almost becomes a game of dare. You know, it's these four adults are standing outside the preschool when it's empty one day. And they're they're trying to will Cormac to go underneath the, uh, it's not the bleacher, sorry. It's underneath the stage in the, like the, the theater part of the school. And he's like, yeah, fine, I'll prove it to you guys. This is all a load of nonsense, blah, blah, blah. But he goes under the bleacher or under the um the stage and he sees this statue that has been moved and it's all wrapped up in all these twisty vines and stuff like that. This is supposedly the statue that the brother, you know, left behind underneath. So you're thinking it's all a setup at this point. They're just wanting to wind him up a little bit. But he comes out, and suddenly, like, 10 hours have passed. He's got 53 missed calls on his phone. He's 28 unread messages. He was supposed to pick up his daughter from peace school. He eats all these messages and stuff. So it, it becomes a... It's a story almost about the fears of being a parent, you know, the, the hardships of being a single parent, caring for someone, but also having your own fears exterior of that as well. Uh, really atmospheric. It, it it jumps from like that bright day glow sort of dropping off at preschool. Like there's this great scene at the start where all the kids are rushing out of the school to their parents. And one of the kids goes, Daddy, Daddy, I done two poos today, but we could only find one. <laughs> uh, you know, and then there's this really nice scene where the father and the daughter reunited and all this kind of stuff. But then it switches gears. And as I say, you jump into those horror elements and suddenly it's all darkness and shadows and creepiness and moonlight. And it was just a really, really engaging first issue. Um, you know, juggled the horror elements really well with the, the single parent elements, the character elements. You know, the the four adults at the end sort of make a pact that you know they're gonna try and figure out this mystery. So that's where it's almost linked to stranger things and except instead of the all knowing kids who know more than their parents do, it's the parents who know more than their kids do and they're the ones exploring, even though they should be too old for this kind of stuff, if you know what I mean. So yeah, it was it was a really interesting book. It just juggled genres really, really well, I thought. Um I think you're on this, Patty, are you?
2: Yeah, I absolutely loved it. I thought it was fantastic. You know, it, it, as you said, it's, yeah, it's just start to finish. I I was engrossed by it. You know, I think everybody kind of knows a bit of a character like Flinnow, you know, that if you've been the Tenerife, he's been the Elevenerife. Exactly. <laughs> oh, yes. Just obs- absolutely fantastic. Uh, Nick Roche actually tweeted something, Alan, I'll send it through to Someone who's wrote, uh, a bit of a detailed breakdown about it about how stuff ties into irish legends that you mightn't even know about you know like the name of the church mm-hmm. means something and just very very well oh, okay. well constructed yeah, and it nick... has an absolutely beautiful one in ten variant cover that is it's the the virgin mary statue with the the veins around it i actually sent a tweet the the nick Roshaskin did he have any spur floating about? And he said to me, "Listen, my my comps are just starting to arrive. Tweet me in four weeks, and I'll get you sorted out." Nice. So, Sweet. Sweet. Yeah. he's a he's a Wexford man, isn't he? Uh, I know he's Irish. Yeah, he's, he's... Very, he's very, very funny on Twitter. Very similar sense of humour to kind of the Chip Sardarsky, You know that that sarcastic. Mm-hmm. But yeah, this is brilliant. It almost makes me wonder when you know IDW. They're a big publisher. I wonder if. It, an independent creator brings a title, do they ever suggest changing the location, you know, with or is it just straightforward, you know? You know?
0: Yeah, I almost think that they, they never specifically really say a lot about this, about where it's set. You know, yeah. it, it could be set in America in a small suburb, but it's just, these are people, you know, who came from Ireland who have settled there. Yeah. You know, they, I, I know exactly what you mean because I don't think in any part in it, it says, like, this is a small village in Ireland. Like, I, I read a couple of reviews on it, and all of them sort of agreed on this point. But they all said, look, it's clearly set in Ireland, you know. Some of the pronunciations and stuff are great. You know, you, you're reading it in sort of your own native tongue. You can hear the accents in your head, you know. But it was just a book that arrived out of nowhere for me because, again, I, I really like the cover. The cover is quite minimalist just has a really nice sort of scaring through logo across the top and then it has what look like children's play blocks lined up but it says rip so it's this almost childish image but you know with very threatening connotations as well so yeah i was really really impressed with and i'm and i'm all the way in on it now Uh, i'll definitely be sticking to this the whole way through um you know it's there's even extra depth to it as well. I mean, after the dad has this horrible experience underneath the theater stage and all the rest, he still goes home. He's still trying to comfort his daughter. He's, you know, he's going to sleep in in her bed with her tonight because she's having a bad nightmare. But he's also he can't even sleep himself because of what he experienced. And uh, yeah, just really, really impressed with. It. There's there's a lot of depth to it as well, and the art side whatever,
2: whatever the the horror is or whatever the, the supernatural element is. It seems to have followed him home. Mm-hmm. There's that scene in the garage where, I mean, I'm just flicking through it here and there's mammy you know, you don't say mammy anywhere in the world other than Ireland.
1: <laughs> no, definitely. Uh, yeah. I see what you're saying about, uh, about Nick Roosh's tweet. I see someone has posted a, someone has posted a post saying they're delighted to get a hold of their hands on the Declan Shelby cover of scaring And, uh, you know, and obviously we we uh, we spoke to, to Declan uh, not so long ago, but uh, Nick Rose shares it and retweets, wait a second, there's a Declan shall we, variant of Scaring Hood number one? No one tells me anything.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I think there was a massive delay as well with issue two was meant to be out and then it was meant to be out like two weeks ago and then this week and then next week and he was just kind of making jokes about that, you know, it's it's up to me to let you just know that comics, eh, you know, he, he obviously didn't know the reason and just Kinda made a a few jokes about it, but yeah, it's it's fantastic, and I'm really looking forward. I think we're getting all in issue two and three in successive weeks.
0: Yeah, I mean sometimes there's that frustration when you got to wait for a title, but sometimes then you're rewarded with that quick bang of them. You know, obviously deceased was the obvious example recently, and then we get hit with three, four, and five. So deceased was uh, (laughs) as if you haven't heard a million times before. I'm going to tell you the story again just to get you back for bringing it up again. (laughs)
1: <laughs> we've got a lot to get through maybe not <laughs> so with the season normally
0: am Um but yeah no Scarantood really really impressed with it uh, I thought it was fantastic it's it sold really well in store as well and it, it's really interesting as well because Keith and I noted this on, on the latest previews podcast like the amount of horror titles around at the moment is, is great I and, it's, now, and it's so weird I mean with, with titles we were previewing coming out in February I think three quarters of our picks were horror based and then mm-hmm. here's another one launching in November that won't finish until sort of February, March and so horror is really popular at the moment and but it's really good quality as well. So yeah, that was my pick them for uh the 11th of November and that was Scarantood number 1 i think i'll get on that i think you should sir i think you would really enjoy it just for the Irishisms and reading the word Mammy in a, uh, a comic book <laughs> uh on to patty now it's it's good to see 11th of november it's not me bringing this title up again because i'm pretty sure i picked number one i'm pretty sure i picked number two i'm pretty sure i picked number three and you are going for number four of seven secrets yes we managed to get it into every podcast
2: <laughs> I think this is probably after Department of Truth, my favourite title. Each week, it just gets better and better and better. Uh, another one I was late to, I had to get, I think, the second print of issue one because first print's just just disappeared. But yeah, I, I know you guys give it a lot of love previously and uh, 100% jumping on the bandwagon. It is fantastic. This issue... The other issues were action-packed. This is an action issue. There's nothing in this other than action from when it starts to when it ends. I think uh, it starts with Amon, who is kind of set up to be the the villain. It starts with him attacking the the orders base, but not just their base, their their global bases. So there's it's a it? Fiji, uh, Venice, Italy, Japan. And we have Skellig Michael in yeah. Ireland as well. It turns out, is the headquarters not just of Luke Skywalker in <laughs> the Last Jedi? I actually, tweeted Tom Taylor saying, "I think I figured it out. Uh, the Order have a base on Skellig Michael, which was the filament location where <laughs> Luke Skywalker was in uh, the Last Jedi. Uh, so, does this mean Luke Skywalker's in the Order?" i got a very polite (laughs) haha but yeah i think i counted four twists to the story in this issue Mm -hmm. it's uh, i think you said it all on about issue two or issue three but they honestly fit so much into each issue it's like i think if this if this issue was a tv episode it would be two or three episodes
0: yeah because so much happens in it yeah plot twists on you know
1: and yet and yet it happens it all happens within two or three minutes
3: yep
1: you know it's uh you know what it, it just it just flits back and forth through all these locations as you're saying they're all really interesting locations um but uh, I have to say I think my my favorite you know moment was the the reveal about uh who Amon is related to yep you yeah, am I
2: not mistaken? Did you predict that on the last podcast? One of yous definitely did. I think one of yous was either. Keith oh, or one we, of us uh, predicted it.
1: Could be, could be. I have to, yeah. we'll have to listen back. I have to listen back. But yeah, we were. I think we did talk about about Ammon being maybe assumed part of yeah. the order, uh, but we didn't realize he was quite this close. You know, he's definitely the dark reflection of Casper.
2: Yeah, but even um, how, you know, even when you get to the end and you're like, uh, I think he sums it up where, you know, we thought we had a stunning victory, but really without knowing we've pulled the trigger on our own defeat. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's it's top of the pale for me every every week it's out. What I'll do is I'll, I'll put my favorites, a favorite one at the top and a favorite one at the bottom. So I've always <laughs> something to look forward to and I'll have them read on Wednesday night. That's it. I, I don't make plans and I'll sit and read whatever I've got kind of that week. And it's, it, it's always first of the plate. I think one day I actually read it in the car before getting into work. Yeah. I was that excited to get it. Yeah.
1: I mean, there's some great, there's some really great moments, you know, you know, with uh, Casper and Titus, uh, who was his comp- competition to be the, the holder uh, last issue. And, and that, that scene, it's so cinematic, like it is so cinematic. It it would
2: is that the close shot?
1: Uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So I thought that was that was great, uh, and just the whole the whole episode is is just scene to scene to scene. Uh, very very good, and the, I loved the the shot where uh, Eva, you know, fires the fires the crossbow bolt at uh, at Amon trying to kill him, and she just puts yep. up the hand and uh not doesn't flinch the crossbow will just you know embeds itself in in her in her palm and uh, and she doesn't flinch she doesn't even look sideways at it you know fantastic just a thanks mom class. class class yeah this was this is a great choice this is a great choice
0: yeah i mean it's one of those ones for anybody who is late to it the trade is now solicited february recommend it highly enough i'm the same as Pat it goes to the top of my pile every time because you just know you're in for a good time it'll you know put you in a good mood reading comics and, and make you look forward to whatever's next and and i say it every time i just don't think there's a better writer right now for efficiency of storytelling the amount that like i i would love to know how many drafts tom tiller does of an individual script because he crams so much he there's not a frame wasted a line of dialogue wasted and as you say there's <clears throat> there's at least three or four twists in here all in the space of like 30 pages
3: yeah.
0: and it's just fantastic and again i love the fact that it showed like the global bases. you know it, it comes across as a really globe trotting adventure which is great mm. as well
1: i just you know you see i mean i'm always excited whenever you see something's been picked up you know as a as a movie or as a netflix series or something like that you know so you can see how it how it translates and there's some like I mean, I'm really excited about Undiscovered Country and what they're going to do with that. But a more obvious option would be Seven Secrets. I mean, that is just, you don't, they're not even going to need to storyboard it because it's right there in the comic. (laughs) You know, it's so good. It's so good. That uh, That was was a
0: great choice. Undiscovered
2: Country being picked up?
0: It was picked up even before issue one came out. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and and Snyder and uh, Charles Soule are actually writing the script for the movie. It's New Line, is it? Uh, it I think it's New Line, yeah. Same uh, company that did Lord of the Rings, Mm -hmm. most famously. So, uh, yeah. But, yeah, I was just glad to hear that, uh, A, that other people are enjoying Seven Secrets as much as I am, and, B, that I didn't have to pick it as one of my picks of the week for it to still be included in the podcast. So I appreciate that right there. So Seven Secrets number four for the 11th of November from Paddy. So what have you got then for the 11th of November, Keith? I think this was one you were... Very much looking forward to.
1: Oh yeah, this was this would probably be my pick of the month. I think if it wasn't uh, big words, it, you know, if this hadn't been out at the same time, Seven Secrets would have been would have been my pick. But what I've been looking forward to from AfterShock uh, Comics uh, uh, Miskatonic Number One. And if uh, if you know anything about H.P. Uh, Lovecraft and the Cthulhu Mythos, then Miskatonic is a word that'll mean something to you. Um, but it's written by Mark Sable, who is uh known for he, he wrote spider-man he's written batman for marvel and dc he's done uh creator own stuff um and that the uh, artist is uh giorgio pontrelli uh who is uh, has done jesus for everybody uh disney dc idw boom uh, all sorts of stuff but uh the uh it's just this is great from start to finish. Um, so the, the gist of this is that uh, it's set in the nineteen twenties, nineteen thirties, and uh, Hoover has just taken over as uh, as the director of the FBI, and uh, the 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 main character, the lead character, is uh, is Agent Keller, and uh, Hoover has just taken over. He's cleaning house, and uh, Agent Keller is one of the few female agents in the fbi and he's more or less going right well you can uh you can go to the typing pool uh because my first act was to make sure the bureau of investigation is a muscular extension of american justice you know which is in effect masculine so so anyway she's not she's not having that and uh and he goes okay well fine uh you know she brings up, uh, or they bring up, an investigation into these radicals uh, that have been arrested and a crime in the Miskatonic Valley, which is in Massachusetts, and uh, and so forth and so on. So, uh, so Keller is sent to uh, is sent to Innsmouth, which is a a port town, uh, and in in Cthulhu Mythos and and the Cthulhu books, uh, Innsmouth is famous from uh, from uh, books like Escape from Innsmouth and uh, Dagon. And uh, is is home to a uh, a decadent uh, a decadent society of uh, of ancient inbreeding and so forth and so on. But uh, anyway, uh, the I, I don't know. Maybe maybe there's a there's a there's a lot goes on in this book. Uh, Keller goes to Innsmouth. Uh, she meets uh, she meets uh, Detective Malone, who's an agent. He's uh, he's already there. He's already on site to investigate the uh, the. Uh, the death of this professor from, uh, from Miskatonic uh, from Miskatonic university. And uh, he's, he's been in Innsmouth long enough to know that, and in Arkham and, and that long enough to know that things aren't quite right. And, uh, and there's, there's more going on here. And he's uh, the the Cthulhu, the Cthulhu stories, the the, the Lovecraft stories very much dabble in uh, madness Sanity and insanity and uh, you know he's clearly been touched by something already uh, you know the, the, the human characters in, in Lovecraft stories never come out quite <laughs> quite the way they go in um, and this is he, he seems very much that case but you know she's uh, she faces she faces up against uh, you know up against um, I guess male prejudices but you know Agent Keller's a very uh, a very uh, uh, skillful investigator um we meet characters that uh, that uh, those of us who have read lovecraft before will recognize but it's lovely to see them uh, in comic books and uh, and we we see references of things we've seen before the order of dagon and uh, uh they are our, our two agents start to uh, sort of really start to investigate that and strange things start happening they uh, you know when they find themselves they find themselves having to escape from Innsmouth uh, by dark at night across the swamps and the marshes and uh, things just things just don't go well uh, but what this book does really what this 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 comic does really really well is it, it captures the feel and the tone of lovecraft's writings uh you know it really captures the it really captures the themes and and it, it just it feels like you're it feels like you're you're reading a lovecraft book you know um but it's Beautifully, beautifully rendered. Um, the main uh, male character bears a striking resemblance to. Uh, have you ever seen Peaky Blinders? Yes. Uh, the brother George from Peaky Blinders. He bears a striking resemblance to him. Um, but uh, yeah, it's just it's a it's a great story. A whole lot of references. A whole lot of Easter eggs. But you know, it's it's a really really solid story. You could you could pick it up not knowing anything about Lovecraft, I think, and enjoy it.
2: That's what I was going to ask because I know nothing about it, but it sounds interesting. So, Alan, if you have a copy, can you pop me a copy over?
0: Yeah, I can certainly check the store when I'm in tomorrow. I mean, I'm probably the litmus test for this because uh, I don't have any great in-depth knowledge about Lovecraft, uh, but it sounds like a really interesting mythology. You know, I hear Keith and Martin talk about it quite a lot in store. You know, Keith and Martin are, are long, long, long time friends. And you know have a lot of similar interests, and I know this was one Martin was looking forward to, and he seems to have reacted in pretty much the exact same way you did, Keith. So,
1: mm. but and I to to some extent, I would say Martin's harder pleased than I am.
0: <laughs> well, I don't know, he does like Deadpool, uh, <laughs> which you certainly do not. But yeah, I mean, I I enjoyed it from the sort of investigative nature of it. You know, it it felt like. It almost felt a wee bit x Filesy, you know what I mean? But yeah, in the 1920s, I mean, yeah. as a, <laughs> I knew you would be if I said that. But, <laughs> but yeah, I, I enjoyed it, the investigative nature of it. I think Aftershock at the moment are on a real hot streak. I think they're pulling out really good titles. I love titles that bleed together realism and events that actually happen but put a twist on them and, you know, meld together fiction and nonfiction, you know. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I, I really enjoyed this first issue. I thought it was great. I thought it looked great. I thought the art was was stunning in places. Um, so yeah, it's definitely one there's, I'll be sticking uh, with anyway.
1: I mean, there's a lot. There's there's some back matter in it as well, Alan. Um, it's a a memorandum for the director of the United States Department of Justice Bureau of Investigation, uh, regarding uh, the bombing of uh, of Ephraim White and other strange doings in the Miskatonic Valley. And I think this is one part that really excited Martin as well because there's there's so many references to lovecraft stories in it mm-hmm. you know what i mean that uh that sort of uh it goes through and there's names and there's 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 names of places and uh, and all sorts of stuff so so yeah I'm, I'm really glad i'm really glad you enjoyed it as a as a as a lovecraft neophyte as you say the litmus test there so i dare say patty you'll you'll enjoy it
0: yeah and again as i say aftershock killing it at the moment so many great titles coming through there so Definitely a publisher to keep an eye on, as as well as Boom, who keep knocking them out of the park, Image, J.W.A. Cool, so that is going to round off the 11th of November, so if you're still with us, we're jumping on to the 18th of November now. So I'm jumping on with a title here for my pick of the week that, I'll be honest, I feel that like I've stolen it off Keith. Just the way Paddy was picking up Seven Secrets, which usually I would pick, I think I've chosen something that normally Keith would pick so for me the standout title this week was Nightwing 76 so Nightwing written by a long time comic book stalwart Dan Jurgens, and you've got art by Ronan Clique. this appealed to me straight away I mean I I enjoy Nightwing I don't have the same you know desire the, the same love for the character that Keith has certainly you know Keith mistakenly thinks he's a better Batman than Bruce Wayne but that's a whole other <laughs> whole other conversation but I mean, I, I enjoy a good Nightwing story. New 52 run was superb. And I kind of feel like I slightly cheated with the Rebirth run in that I missed out all the Rick Grayson stuff. And I've just jumped back on it just as he's become Dick Grayson. But this um, this issue is essentially a spiritual sequel to uh, Batman 55. So Batman 55, Tom Keen's run, hip deep in it. KG Beast was hunting, well, well we thought he was hunting Batman in Gotham. But this issue starts off with a quick recap of a scene from that issue where Batman, Dick Grayson, and Gordon are chatting on a roof. And it all leads to the point where Dick Grayson takes a shot to the head from KG Beast. So he took a shot to the head, he then ended up, you know, getting sort of a selective amnesia. He still had muscle memory there. He had little inklings of his past, but you know, there was tons of blanks there and he Relocated, He became Rick Grayson. He almost became a Talon, I believe. He There was yes. lots of people messing with his mind and trying to twist him one way or another. And then that all led to Joker War, where he ended up essentially being a son of the Joker for a few issues. But, you know, he's now back to full Nightwing mode, back in the blue and black. And... This issue is essentially capping off a arc where KJ Beast has come to fix his mistake. You know his reputation has massively suffered because everyone looks at it as you miss Nightwing because you didn't kill him. So the issue kicks off with uh, KJ Beast holding, you know, who had become Rick Grayson's great love throughout this part, uh, this point, Bea, at uh, holding her at gunpoint. And the rest of the issue is essentially just a kick-ass summation of everything that makes Dick Grayson a great character. You know, you've great action through here. You have great dialogue. You have a character who has full confidence in his abilities. Because, lest we forget, Nightwing is not any sort of, you know, any sort of character with these great superpowers or anything. He's an, he's an exceptional gymnast. He is, has he is been taught by Batman how to fight. Um, he can read a situation and, you know, of course, he has his, his batons, you know, his his weapons. But outside of that, it's just a really great issue. You know, he's talking the whole way through it, I suppose. Keith, you love Nightwing so much because he's he's almost DC's Peter Parker. He
1: is. That's exactly it. He is. Nightwing to me is, is DC's Spider-Man. Yeah.
3: Uh,
1: you know, he's, he's very much, you know, Dick Grayson wears the mask, you know, but he's not. Uh, he's very... You know, we've talked about it before. You know, the fact that, or not the fact, I guess the the theory that that you know Bruce Wayne is the mask that Batman wears. Mm -hmm. You know, rather than the other way around. Well, well, Dick Grayson is very much not that. You know, it's always Dick Grayson with the mask on. Yeah. You know, that's not two separate characters. Yeah, he's very very human. Uh, You know, he's uh, he's 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 very personable. He you know has his thoughts and his feelings and his intelligence always come through uh,
0: and and went out in the end, you know, and yeah, all those
1: other cool things that you said as well, though, you know,
0: (laughs) but yeah, there's just, there's a great summation to the fight here where KGB is essentially about to use this max caliber, max caliber dispersal grenade. And Dick Grayson, of course, very quick thinking, uses one of the batons, jams up the gun and explodes in KGB's face, essentially. But it's at this point you see Dick Grayson's humanity straight away, because even KG Beast is like you know you could kill me right now whatever but he actually takes off part of his um part of his costume rips it you know creates a tourniquet and actually you know helps to sort of seal the wound if you will but while doing that of course he has a ridiculous wisecrack uh he's, as he's a ridiculous wiseass I should say because he's actually getting to finish a joke he started two years ago uh, <laughs> where they're talking about a a Batman villain, and he's like, that's the problem with Napkin Man. He doesn't. That's the point where he was shot, but he gets to finish off the punchline here. Uh, very timely DC reference punchline. Uh, follow the normal Bat protocol. He just wipes away all the clues. Get it? You know, Dick Grayson does not have a good sense of humour, I don't think. But, that's the first half of the issue. The second half of the issue is all about the responsibility of being a hero. It's all about the fact that if you're a, a, a hero and people know who you are, you have to tramp you know, you have to push people away almost because and you're, you're trying to protect them. And there's some really great stuff here with, you know, memories of Alfred talking to him and memories of, you know, saying that he could be better and he could, you know, have both, you know, he could have the life where he cares about someone, but he could also, you know, do the superhero stuff. But, you know, Batman's words seem to win out more in his mind and he actually ends up pushing B away uh you know he sort of says the memories came back but the feelings didn't you know which was was quite an emotional sort of moment and mm. you know when i was when i was Rick and with you it's like i was really a different person that guy no longer exists and you know she's went from having all this hope and all this you know this planning for a great future and then it's just ripped away from her and she just runs away from Dick and and even then he's still wrestling with himself he's like you know i can stop this i can tell her i was lying and no Alfred felt that your life of self-imposed isolation and denial wasn't necessary. He saw me as different, encouraged me to break free. But Batman says you can try, but it doesn't work that way. And it's almost that it's not a negative part from Batman. It's it's a realistic, you know, point of view, I suppose, that, you know, he has to push her away to protect her. But yeah, it's just I thought it was just a really, really great issue. I thought it was a great summation of everything Nightwing is as a character it ends with that really cool sort of image of him jumping off the rooftop with the moonlight behind him and in full control and no fear. And yeah, just I, I thought this was a really, really great issue. And it actually reminded me of the New 52 run quite a bit, which I am a unashamed fan of.
1: Mm. I mean, I, I obviously loved it, Alan. Uh, the reason that I didn't fight you is because I always i am the one that picks Nightwing and I just thought it'd be really interesting to hear your take on it. Uh, <laughs> You know, rather than uh, rather than hear me rabbiting on again, yeah, I loved it. I loved that. Uh, obviously, it's a big, big heroic moment. You know, the you know him making out like his feelings haven't come back. You know, breaking his own heart, mm-hmm. and breaking her heart at the same time in order to keep her safe. There's a part of me that says, well, man, maybe you should have given her the choice. Yeah. You know, allowed her to make to make the choice and given her the given her the benefit of the doubt. Um, I hope it's not the last we see ever. I, I feel like it's gonna be. I think that's I think that's maybe the last uh you know, the <laughs> the last uh, vestige of Rick Grayson gone though. Uh what's interesting is is Hutch also appears in this. Um mm-hmm. the fireman who uh who comes and uh, after after Dick has tourniqued uh KGB's leg. Wasn't he the, one of the, the Night Wings, wasn't he? He is one of the Night Wings, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. So uh so yeah, so he was uh, he was there and the yeah, so that was interesting.
0: Yeah, it's almost uh, like yeah. they're they're trying to move it back to a more straightforward classic Nightwing sort of story progression. Almost, it's like right, let's rid him of all the things that have you know been attached to the character in the last couple of years, and let's go back to sort of classic. Nightwing, almost if you will, so I can Yeah, yeah, you know, really. You, yeah. you look at some of the flirting that he and Barbara were doing, like doing Joker War and stuff like that, and maybe people are just, you know, hankering for a more classic Nightwing, but you can, obviously, again, this is an audio medium, not a visual one, but as the guys can see me, I'm just going to hold up this uh, variant cover I got because I thought it was really, really great. But you can see Nightwing on top of a train speeding through Gotham, yeah. but uh-huh. if you look just there, you can see B is in the crowd and she's illuminated looking on very solemnly at him as if to say, like, he's going in one direction away from me. So it's actually mm-hmm. quite a subtle hint for what the whole issue is about. Usually a variant cover has nothing to do with the story yeah, inside. Yeah, that's interesting. It's, it's um, just a cool image, you know.
1: That uh, that scene where Hutch appears is kind of interesting, you know. Um, sort of, let's say... Uh, you know, Hutch says, "Does that mean you're okay with me branching out again?" And uh, and Dex says, "If that's what Bloodhaven needs, and you really train for it, hell yeah!" It's almost like he's sanctioning them. To uh, is
0: he sanctioning them, or is he saying you can take care of Bloodhaven? I'm going to stay in Gotham.
1: Maybe it it could be that it could be that. Um, and then the the thing that sort of bothered me just a wee bit, the very first page or mm-hmm. the second page, sorry. Uh, you know where they're, they're recapping the shooting. Yeah, says was the fact that the bullet grazed me intentional. That's the first time I've heard it mentioned that the bullet grazed him, rather than he was shot in the head.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's... It's almost like they're sort of downplaying it a wee bit. I suppose they're saying just grazed because if it had hit him full tilt, I think he would have died. Essentially, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? I think it's just maybe a turn of phrase, but but I did like as well that it was um, him actually thinking about that as well. You know, was it meant for me, you know? Was it actually, you know, was it not meant for Gordon or was it not meant for Batman, that kind of thing? So I thought that was actually quite interesting um, yeah, because yeah, he he yeah. talks about that in the first page. He's like, my world was about to be shattered. I've wondered, why me? Why not Batman or Gordon? Why was I the one, you know, sort of thing? So, um, but yeah, I suppose Grazed is just because if you say someone got shot in the head nine times out of 10 or 99 times out of 100, they're going to be dead. So maybe it's just turn of, uh, yeah. of phrase. Could right? be.
1: Uh, anyway, good choice, Alan. I'm glad you. I'm glad you enjoyed some Nightwing.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I am very much on board for it from here on in. Uh, so yeah, that was nineteen uh, Nightwing seventy six. That was my choice for the eighteenth of November. Uh, it's going to be over to you, Paddy, I have to admit, this was very high on my list as well. Eighteenth of November. What have you got for us?
2: Yeah, Venom issue thirty, the finale to the Venom Beyond, part five. I uh, just realised when I looked at this. The first issue I picked up when I came in store was Venom twenty-five. Mm-hmm. There's only been five issues of Venom in the entire time I've been reading comics. That that for me is just nuts. That's <laughs> <laughs> one of them wants to get my head around. Uh, Venom's another one who hasn't missed a heartbeat. I don't think I didn't read Venom Island because when I was reading it on Marvel, I got up to the start of Venom Island and then I just went straight to twenty-five. But apparently, it was.
1: Well, I'm going to say that was a mistake. <laughs> uh, Venom Island. Oh yeah. Uh, Mark Bagley on 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 art. Yeah, like, Mark Bagley, Bagley is, makes it worthwhile. As just that would make it worthwhile. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That man, Mark Bagley, is is one of the seminal Spider-Man artists, yeah. and and uh, yeah, absolutely. Go for it.
2: I'll check it out this evening then. Ah, uh, but yeah, the finale, then the end of Venom Beyond first last issue of Venom before King and Black. Uh, It kind of picks up to have uh, Gargan, who is Scorpion, kind of held hostage. He's going to take them to Kodaks, who is Dylan Brock in this alternate universe timeline they're in. Uh, Yeah, really good issue. It started out quite funny for me. There was the whole uh, Doc Ock working with uh, Kodaks, you know, this just absolute genius says he can have a time machine built in. A couple of months you skip on to the next page and there you've got the the crazy reed richards who says i can do it in four maybe five years <laughs> you know just the, the the parallel between the two of them was brilliant it was a very heartfelt issue you know it was kind of for me it was there was a lot of good guys in this issue you know you kind of Eddie has always missed his wife really since you died and here he's in this parallel world where he's finally getting to have time with her and you know she's getting to have kind of the son back in in dylan that she never had with dylan in her world who then became kind of kodaks but you can kind of see from reading it that that she doesn't want to accept it she doesn't want to accept this person as her son but uh, i think she does give in and there's there's one there when he says when this is over if the machine that gets us home takes five years to build and i don't want to leave i really hope you'll let me you know, she, he wants, it's not that he wants to stay with her, he just, he just wants her to love, you know. But yeah, great issue, and then it all just kind of kicks off. They they crash Kodak's lair. Uh, there's, a, a, of course, a, an Avengers assemble. Sitting <laughs> in there with, with Kodak's, you know, Venom's version of the Avengers. Uh, yeah, and it kind of, there's really, for me it was a bit of a confusing scene when they're trying to strip Dylan of Kodak the Kodaks, just the, you know, were they showing him what his life could have been? Were they showing him, you know, memories of of what they had?
1: Yeah, that's exactly it. Yeah. 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 It was, I guess it was the, the loss, the loss of Eddie, his father that had sort of pushed him down this road. Ah. So, so Dylan shared his memories and gave him, you know, gave him a, so I guess, you know, Dylan gave him the memories he had with, with his, with Eddie and, yeah. and, and Eddie and then, and then Codex, he got Codex's memories of his time with his mother as a child. So, uh, yeah. So I think it's a bit of a, bit of a swap. Um, yeah.
2: Yeah. And then we we'll kind of jump on a, a year, you know, there's a scene where they're in the park saying that, that he still hasn't come around. He's still, he's still unconscious. I don't think this is the last, we've seen of him uh, i think he may still have a a, a part to play uh, and then we skip on a few months more whenever they leave they kind of come back and dad are we home did we do it yes son we're here but where did all the stars go
3: hmm.
2: and it's just their two silhouettes complete darkness and then to be continued in the king and black uh, yeah, yeah this, this has been a, a fantastic you know storyline I think the speculators kind of at the start of it were were absolutely buzzing. There was a couple of first appearances in a way. Issue prices went up you kind know, through the roof. And whenever the, the the reveals happened and the crash came, you know, some of the comments online were, were absolutely priceless. <laughs> really? People not get people not getting the payoff they expected and
0: Yeah, I mean there was the if you look at any graded copies of Venom twenty six slash Free Comic Book Day Spider Man issue, they've had to act. They actually quote COVID 19 on it. They basically yeah. say, like, Free Comic Book Day was due to be first appearance of Codex, but due to COVID 19 shipped after Venom 26. And then on Venom 26, it says something like, actual first appearance due to COVID-19, but wasn't meant to be first appearance. That was, re- you know, that kind of thing. <laughs> it's just ridiculous how I, you know, yeah. the, the, all the, see all this speculator stuff and all this first appearance stuff, this endlessly tickles Keith, by the way, because he could not care less about any of it.
2: I will not lie. I got suckered in a wee bit at the start. Yeah. You know, was, I, I was all for it. It was, ah, uh, but, but now I'm kind of like, you know what? If it happens in an issue, I have
0: yeah you you, you pick it up because you enjoy it that that's my philosophy with it as well and Mm. you know i do treat myself you know and and you're partially to blame for this patty i do treat myself sometimes as some nice wrestling inspired variant covers but you know that's yeah but that's all your fault but no i i just read stories because i enjoy them you know i picked up venom because i enjoy it and i have to say that last page i thought was exceptional the the where did all the stars go and you know, Dylan and Eddie are sort of standing there in red silhouette and the Venom symbol's apparent. Actually reminded me of Sin City a little bit of, of all things. But I thought I, that was a perfect in the Kingdom Black.
1: I think I think so, but I think what's more significant, maybe, is the fact that, you know, after they defeat Codex and uh, and that, it's one year later, you know, so they've been on uh, Earth 1061 for uh, for a year.
2: That's what I was going to ask.
1: Yeah, I... I think this is maybe the last happy time that uh, that Eddie is going to see for a long, long time. I think that is very much his calm before the storm, his uh, his his moment of peace. Uh, I think it's all going to get very, very dark for Eddie, for Eddie from here on in. Very dark. Uh, uh,
2: I mean, I. I, I could be this, do you think then Eddie's not going to be in King and Black until the next Venom issue? So he comes back, say Venom, thirty-one, and then that explains. So you say maybe King and Black has been happening for a couple of weeks. null has been on Earth. And then all of a sudden he's arriving back. Avengers are already faking him. Hard
1: to say. Hard to say whether or not he's coming into the middle of something. The, that, that, the end of Venom 30 doesn't give anything away there. You know, uh, I, I don't know. I'd say Venom well, is going to be fairly key to, to King and Black. If he's not in the first issue of, of King and Black, that would be pretty very pretty, pretty strange. But yeah, I, I, I don't know. We don't know the timeline of it at all or, or what, but uh, I mean, that's an interesting point, Patty, for sure. But I just, I think I think you can view that year as maybe something a wee bit tragic. Uh, you know, just knowing just what Donny Cates has planned for for Eddie. I just, I just, it's not going to be pretty. For him to give him that, that year's break, I don't think it's going to be pretty. <laughs> you know?
2: Oh, I'm excited. <laughs> yeah
0: well keenan black coming this week to your favorite local comic store uh it is interesting that on that page actually that it says to be continued in keenan black it doesn't say to be continued in keenan black number one yeah so i do kind of wonder if as you say it's maybe they're arriving back and because because the timing would be too coincidental that it took exactly unless of course nulls hovering over earth waiting for eddie to return to attack or something i don't know but but uh yeah, full faith in Donny Kate. So just like Paddy, I'm very excited for uh, for Kate Black number one, which hits yeah, this and week.
1: Yeah, I, I wonder as well. You know, that sharing of memories between Dylan and Codex. I mean, I, I don't know. I don't know if we will see Codex again. In fact, I think maybe they just they they were done with him in the story, and that's why they kept him in a coma because it would have complicated the end yeah. of the story a wee bit, you know. But I wonder is there a significance in the memories they've shared now because Dylan probably has memories from codex now Mm
2: -hmm. or powers
1: powers potentially i mean dylan already has his own set of powers anyway uh and his own relationship to symbiotes but uh yeah i wonder is the are the the memories that dylan has gotten from codex gonna be significant uh and king and black yeah very exciting very exciting
0: cool so that was paddy's pick them for 18th of november that was venom number 30 uh on to yourself then keith finishes off them for 18th of november what do you got
1: Uh, I have got uh, a Marvel book, another Marvel book. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) So I have got uh, Avengers Marvel snapshots, uh, one shot. So as you know, there have been a bunch of these Marvel snapshots, one shots uh, over the past few months uh, celebrating the, uh, the, uh, what is it? The 25th anniversary of Marvel's, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, so they're, they're, they're sort of done in that same way uh, that, uh, an every man's view of, of heroes in the same way as marvels marvels was uh paddy if you haven't read marvels kurt busek we can't yeah. we can't talk highly enough about it highly recommend it um but but this is it so this is uh we've had focus on the x-men we've had focus on spider-man we have fo- we've had focus on submariner we've had focus on captain america so this is focus on on the Avengers. Um, it's by Barbara Randa Kessel and uh, pencils by Stas Johnson and the story is called Heart Rate and it is kind of a love story. Um so it follows um it follows Carrie, uh, who has just moved to New York. I think it's set I don't know, maybe set in the late eighties the way she's dressed, but it's hard to tell. Uh, she's going out to, to work out and she's wearing leg warmers and a uh and stuff like that so it looks a wee bit like that but uh, this girl uh, this girl um carrie is is having trouble finding an apartment she's a she's a nurse she's a uh a medic and uh she's moved to new york and she's having real trouble finding an apartment she's been staying on her friend's sofa for what it was supposed to be two weeks it's now three months and uh you know she goes out to uh you know, it's just a lot of her backstory and, you know, people meeting her and saying, oh, did you find that apartment yet? No, haven't found it yet. And then next thing uh, she's on the uh, on the receiving end of uh, of this giant robotic foot just slamming down through a neighborhood in New York, uh, you know, and uh, she, you know, suddenly we've got that bird's eye view of, you know, you know, the you know, the view in, uh, in Marvel's uh, Alan with the uh, giant man from the street up. Mm hmm it's something not unlike that. There's a wee nod to it, but this giant foot, you know, but this is a wee bit more destructive. Uh, people running cars everywhere, you know, smoke, this giant hand comes down, crushing buildings, cars crashing, uh, you know, so she immediately, she immediately being a medic, she immediately tries to help, you know, um, and she's stopped by a, she's stopped by a cop and the cops go on, you know, you've, you've, you've got to get out of here, you know, you, you, I can't let you go over there, miss. Uh, so she's like hands off handsome i'm a professional there's a wee bit of sort of flirting goes on you know and that and uh and she says listen you know i'm a, I'm, I'm trained for this you know I, I need to help i can't not help and uh you know the story goes on she's she's helping out he's you know she's doing her medic thing he's doing the police thing uh you know we see the we see that. uh I guess the 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 damage on the side, you know, from from superhero battles, and 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 as, as the superheroes try and, you know, the Avengers come in and and try and put a stop to to what's going on, you know, and uh, the New Yorkers, you know, view of the Avengers and that, you know, so it's so anyway, that the the shot the Sarge sh- replaces the the young cop, and the young cop has to, they've got these shelters, these uh, shelters that are for, I guess, damage whenever whenever there's a super battle going on. People in neighbourhoods get into these purpose-built shelters and uh, the rest of the story sort of takes place in this shelter. And uh, as the two of them, the, the cop and uh, and uh, Kerry, the medic, try and help people, keep people calm. We see the New York spirit, you know, the same famous New York spirit that you saw in the original Spider-Man movie whenever Green Goblin was uh, beating up Spider-Man and the New Yorker started throwing stuff at the Green Goblin off the Brooklyn Bridge going, hey, he's one of ours! <laughs> you know, <laughs> All of that sort of stuff. So Meanwhile, there's a wee bit of flirting going on between these two, and the, the cop, you know, eventually starts telling a story, or they start telling stories about, you know, whenever they met. She's from out of town, so she doesn't have a lot of superhero stories, but she remembers whenever she saw the Avengers battle in Count Nefaria whenever she first arrived in New York. And, uh, again, it's all she was trying to get an apartment. You know, this this through line of this apartment runs through the whole thing. But, uh, but then he shares a story about... Uh, you know, whenever he first joined the force and he's uh, he's of, of Native American descent, you know, and he's he's facing some racism and one of the, you know, the, one of the other cops comes out and says, well, you're one of ours, you know, that sort of thing. Uh, forget about it, you know, all of this sort of stuff and uh, the cops, this is a flashback, obviously he's telling a story about when he met a hero and uh, the cops are, are, they're sort of griping about superheroes and those crazy power fights and you know, they show-offs and they're and satiny costumes and, you know, we could we could show them a thing or two about how to negotiate their way out of a situation. Tony Stark is sitting in the bar whenever the cops are uh, whenever the cops are chatting and he overhears. And, of course, Tony stands up to defend heroes, to defend his bodyguard, Iron Man. And uh, and uh, the cop says, this young cop, I can't remember the cop's name, I don't know if it's mentioned. Um, but the cop stands up and says, give me two minutes, two minutes. You know, you've got to see it from our perspective. He goes, I'm proud to be a predictor, proud to wear the uniform, but it take, makes our job harder knowing that all those superheroes, if they just take two minutes out of their battles, two minutes, that could make the difference between life and death to somebody at our level. You know, so we admire, you know, what, what, what your bodyguard does for everything, you know, does for everybody. But, you know, there's always going to be a little tension. Stark says, that's it. I've given you two minutes. You've made your point. So that's all right. It's fine. Whenever the cop goes outside, he's walking home iron man superhero lands in the middle of the street and says, Hey buddy. And he's like, Oh, you know, and he goes, start told me that, uh, you said in there that you've, I've, you, and I've got a message for you. And he's like for me. And he goes, you know, so, and he doesn't, he doesn't end up telling the cop doesn't end up telling the end of the story to the people in the, in the, the storm shelter. And of course things go from bad to worse. And, uh, she still tells another story about meeting, uh, meeting uh wonder man and beast. And someone tells one of the, they, the, the, someone tells a story about being saved by Hawkeye and someone about being been saved by daredevil. And someone about seeing the invisible woman walking into Macy's and all of that. And, uh, and then it all goes, it goes from bad to worst. Uh, the lights go out and, and then, uh, a building is tumbled down on top of the, the roof of the, you know, the roof of the, the shelter and the shelters blocked off. And, uh, there's a guy in there, he's dying. And, uh, uh, they're sitting there. They're going. This is it. We're 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 going to die down here. This guy is going to die. And and uh, he says. The cop says to her. She goes. Is this is this life or death? And she says. Yeah. She goes. This this guy's going to die. This is life or death. And he just gets on his and He just tests. He just he just texts to a random number. He just texts LOD. Life or death. And uh, two minutes later, there's a crunching sound and a screeching sound. An Iron Man tears open the the door of the of the storm shelter. You know. And uh, he just says, OK, emergency still in progress, folks. I need you to stay in here. Where's the LOD? And, uh, you know, the cop points and says, there, there he is, you know. And uh, so strap him into the gurney. I'll, I'll take him away, you know. And, uh, of course, it turns out at the end of the, the story that he was telling, the story they didn't get to tell, that, uh, that uh, you know, whenever Iron Man had landed in the street, uh, he says, are you here because I confronted your boss? He goes, kind of. Here, take this. Uh, it's a number. He says, Mr. Sark says you seem like a good man with a good head in your shoulders. Someday when those two minutes would make a difference in a, in, a, in a matter of life or death, contact me. So this was him, obviously, calling in his favor, you know, it was so I just thought it was it was just fantastic. You know, this this story of burgeoning love set against this backdrop of New Yorkers and superheroes and, and how those superheroes Impact everyday New Yorkers and police folk and medics, you know. So, so it, it's it's a great it's a great story. It ends very well, you know. Them finally, you know, getting some time. They get together. They finally get some time to have a meal, you know, because with him being a cop and her being a medic, it doesn't happen very often, you know. So, all these other people are running for cover as there's a there's like a dinosaur in the background and an Avengers fight going on, and they're just sitting there because it's. <laughs>
3: well,
1: We've it just... Yeah, exactly and so so yeah it was a really really great it was i think it was my favorite of these marvel snapshots uh you know some of them have been really good but this was really really standout uh, i really enjoyed this really really stood out uh, to me so that's marvel snapshots avengers by uh by uh barbara randall kessel and staz johnson
0: highly yeah. recommend it. I know you've spoken highly yeah, of a couple of those different Marvel snapshots. Uh, I think we've won out this week as well, coming with just Civil War Marvel snapshots as well. So they're obviously tackling event like big events in Marvel history well, as well as just different uh, factions. So.
1: That looks like it's going to be uh, Spotlight and Maria Hill. Oh, okay. Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D.
0: Yeah, I think that's the kind of one. I think I missed out in the first couple of them. I think it'll make a really good trade with all those uh, snapshots together. Yeah, so. well, well, yeah. I yeah, could, I definitely. could jump on it then. Cool. So that is case pick them for the eighteenth of November, which was Avengers Marvel Snapshots number one. So if you are still with us, two and a half hours later. Uh, and, of course, why wouldn't you be? Uh, <laughs> we, <laughs> we, are gonna... we
1: brought you in for a good one, Paddy.
3: <laughs> Just to be <laughs> We
0: And this is only when there's picks of the week. Just wait until you get the case 92 honourable mentions a week. <laughs> um, so, yeah, we're going to finish off 25th of November. This is going to bring us right back up to date. As I say, we're recording this on the Monday, the 30th of November. The next release day is the 2nd of uh, December. So this will bring us right up to date. So these uh, last three picks are all, I'm sure, very fresh on our minds. And... I have to say, looking at the three picks, You know, it's it's a week of quality, to say the least. And the one that caught my attention the most is one that I did not expect to. Uh, It's a Black Label title, Stupid Size. Sorry, Keith. And it was a title that I was looking forward to because I've read all the Black Label titles. But it was sort of like, when I get to it, I'll get to it. Even when I was reading my pile, because I read through about 40 issues yesterday. I probably read this about number 32, 33. I kept putting it off and putting it off. It was a thicker book. It was a bigger book. Uh, so what we're talking about here is the other history of the DC universe. This is a brand new number one. This is written by uh, Oscar-winning screenwri- uh, screenwriter John Ridley, responsible for 12 Years a Slave. And art. Oh, yeah. and this is Giuseppe Camoncoli, who we know from Undiscovered Country hmm so other history of the dc universe bit of a checkered past for this one this was originally solicited i think well over a year ago and then it just seemed to disappear from release schedules it's almost like the pre-orders weren't there or the interest wasn't there but it came back and the whole idea of it was the reason it's called the other history of the dc universe is it was going to take us on a journey through dc's history but from a different perspective each issue so essentially each issue is going to be a one shot there's going to be five i believe in total And with this one, you are seeing it through the eyes of Jefferson Pierce, who would become Black Lightning. So clearly what this is, uh, the idea behind this is looking at it from a point of view that you wouldn't normally see in comics. You know, if you think about the great DC stories through the years, you know, you see it from Superman's perspective, from Batman's perspective, Wonder Woman, Green Lantern, etc., etc. But what about those sort of, quote, lower level heroes? You know, what was it like? And in a sense, and this is why this should definitely have your attention, Keith, in a sense, this reminded me of something like marvels, except instead of seeing those great events through the eyes of a photographic journalist, you're seeing them from a lower-level superhero who's just not held in the same regard as these other guys. Mm -hmm. So it basically covers a 20-year, maybe 20 to 25-year period, and it actually marries together real-world events with the DC... um, sort of continuity at that time. So it has it in the in the inside of the book. This is covered 1972 to 1995. And it actually kicks off with Jefferson Pierce. He wants to become like an Olympian. And he actually trains really hard, ends up getting to the Olympics. And they marry that in with, you know, the... Do you remember the movie Munich that was to do with like the attacks during the Olympics? Yeah. And they marry it into that. And because of these terrorist attacks happening at the ceremony he was at he decides he wants to try and be a superhero and then it sort of goes from there but you start to see like all these different iconic images through dc history you know it's it's all internal monologue and i should say as well there's not one line of dialogue in this book from a character uttered from a character's mouth it's all his interior monologue his thoughts what it's like and you know it starts off where where he's where he's lonely and he's you know, living by himself, and then he meets a woman for the first time, and then they end up getting married, and, you know, but these strange things are happening to his body that he can't explain, and they're eventually powers that would manifest themselves as black lightning. But, like, there's a great page in it, for example, you know, so obviously this is all from the point of view of a black superhero, so there's this great part with um, John Stewart, so um, there's this great splash page with John Stewart, and it says, John Stewart was the first of the superhumans who looked like the rest of us, born allegedly without fear, armed, reportedly with a ring whose power was limited, limited only by his imagination. He was a Green Lantern, sometimes. Most of the times he was just John Stewart, the architect, because he was the substitute Green Lantern or the backup Green Lantern, or as the press would call him, the reserve temporary stand-in. The media could not come up with enough adjectives to reinforce the fact that Stewart wasn't a bona fide, fully employed Superman. So even, you know, it's even looking at it from the point of view of he was only ever seen as an alternative to Hal Jordan but once the the all-powerful white man was back and ready you knew John Stewart was kicked to the side to like uh to a different team but he essentially goes through this history he becomes a school teacher and it also becomes a story of how he helped kids as a school teacher during the day but helped clean up his neighborhood at night and he was sort of approaching it from two different uh from two different perspectives So once he starts the sort of superheroing, so to speak, there's this part where Superman turns up in his neighborhood and essentially says, like, you need to stop. This is vigilantism and all this kind of stuff. And, you know, he can't understand why Superman wouldn't want to help him, wouldn't want to help him, you know, look after the little guy, so to speak. He's too busy worrying about, you know, outer space aliens and, you know, all this kind of thing. But he actually stands up to Superman and, and gets rid of him in a way, so to speak, which I won't go into too much detail on. But, you know, there's just just great stuff the whole way through. this. the one page that really got me. This was just, this is one of the best pages I've seen in comics this year. So at this point in the history, Jefferson Pierce is married and he has a kid and he's been Black Lightning for a while. Now his wife doesn't know he's Black Lightning, but it's Halloween and he's been maybe Black Lightning for a couple of of years. And he never leaves his neighborhood. He never steps outside of that. And a trick-or-treater comes to the door and he opens the door. And it's this little kid, and the kid is dressed like black lightning. And it's just this really, really sweet moment where he can sort of see that what he's doing in the neighborhood is having an effect on those people close to him. And it's just a really, really sweet scene. And, you know, the the father is standing behind the kid who's trick-or-treating, and Jefferson says, I asked the father, you don't mind your son dressing up as a vigilante? The man gave a little laugh. Mostly it was good-natured, but it was also uh, signified a little brother, he said, a year ago it was too dangerous at night to take my son trick-or-treating, not anymore Black Lightning did that um, it's just full of really really well written great moments like that, but you know a special mention goes to the art the whole way through as well, it covers so much of DC history, it works in Justice League of America logos, it works in Super Friends logos it, it even works in iconic, uh, iconic scenes from um, from all of DC's history, I mean, there's, a, there's an alternative viewpoint here, like Superman holding the car above his head and stuff like that. It was just endlessly inventive, endlessly engaging. It, it almost read like a novel in places. I will totally understand if this book is not for everybody. It is not your standard comic. It is not your standard characters exchanging dialogue. It's not your standard, you know, superheroics the whole way through. But as a comic that actually has something to say, I thought it was fantastic and it really had an impact on me. Um, it was a pretty long read. It was, you know, most comics we probably read 10 to 12 minutes. I'd say this was a 30 to 40 minute read, but not once did I put it down. Not once did I get bored and look at my phone or anything like that. Um, it was just exceptional. I really can't recommend it enough and I'm more than happy to throw it your way, Keith. You don't have to purchase a stupid-sized black label title to enjoy this. I will happily loan you my copy, but you have to read this. It had echoes of Marvels, echoes of Watchmen, um, even echoes of something like Spider-Man: Life Story. You know where you're seeing these these events that you know about, but you're seeing it from a different perspective, sort of thing. Uh, just truly an exceptional piece of work. With one of my one of the biggest surprises of me for the year, and also one of my favorite issues of the year. Just fantastic and i'm really sad because neither of you have read it so well
2: i'm sold so if you want to keep if you have any copies in store i'll gladly pick it up and have a read you you've convinced me
0: well i i don't think i could convince keith unless i pulled out the guillotine and uh swiped (laughs) maybe about an inch off the side of it and fit it in a normal comic bag if, if,
2: if you if he reads that you'll start invincible (laughs) (laughs)
1: oh no i mean i'm i'm sold you know based on the the description there but you know like alan says i guess my my problem was with the format rather than the stories in them you know so uh so yeah i look forward to i
0: look forward to alone thank you very much
1: i really appreciate that
0: very welcome i will happily hand it over to you but i guarantee you that you will read this 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 is right up your alley you will read this you will come back you will You'll not even say anything to me. I can picture the scene right now. You walk into the store. You hand me my copy back. You don't say a word. You walk over to the rack. You pick up your own copy and go, Alan, you were right. (laughs) You heard it here first, dear listener.
2: (laughs) Just a nod (laughs) of the head.
0: good choice
3: good choice
0: Uh, so yeah so that was my pick for uh the week and to be honest out of the five weeks we've talked about my pick of of all five weeks even above three jokers that was honestly exceptional so uh yeah for me other history of the dc universe 25th of november uh so now that you've just heard me sort of go on for 15 minutes about a title i absolutely loved settle in for at least 30 minutes on a title i know paddy loves so uh what was your choice for the 25th of november
2: the absolutely brilliant Department of Truth, Issue 3. This is, without a doubt, my Issue of the Year. First of all, everybody know well, knows how much I love Department of Truth. I get cover A, cover B, 1 in 10, 1 in 25. All, as well, at cover price. You now, this extortionate £25 for the 1 in 25. So, thank you very much for that, Alan. Pleasure. Uh, but, yeah, this Issue... I think I've read it four or five times now. It is absolutely fantastic. Uh, it starts with a mother who has, although it's not named, I'm guessing it's meant to be Sandy Hook, the the infamous school shooting in America. Uh, it starts with with her, and she's watching a video of who I assume is Alex Jones. He very famously is a conspiracy theorist. Uh, he See what you mean?
1: Said,
2: he's a nut. He's a nut. <laughs> <laughs> yes, he, he is. Uh, he very famously came out at the time and said Sandy Hook was fake. Uh, I think he since apologized for it, but I think once you say it, it's it's out there. Uh, he said Sandy Hook was fake. They were all actors. You know, nobody actually died. The, this issue kind of focuses on the mother of a, a child who who was in Sandy Hook. Uh, it, Ted starts off kind of from her perspective, you know, the first time she's seen this Alex Jones video, you know, she's how can anybody believe this? This is my son. You know, she then goes on to start to talk to the security guards, you know, there's people following me, you know, and then in through this, it's, it's still cutting in with clips of this mysterious Alex Jones tape figure. You know, they talking about taking their guns away. They need to defend themselves. All the if you've ever listened to Alex Jones in any way, shape, or form, I listened to him on Joe Rogan. I think about three months ago, and uh, I'd love to spend a day in Alex Jones's head because I've never seen anybody can vary it from from one topic to another. You know, they're talking about water, and all of a sudden he's going frogs are gay, and then he's back saying they want to take our guns off us, and. You know, Joe Rogan's just kind of sitting back at this point, loving that this is going on. But the demands, yeah. So it's, <laughs> it's uh, I promised I I wouldn't swear. So <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, it kind of goes on, and then it shows you her in a house, and again, more she'd never heard of the term false flag. You know, which is it's become almost a you know the Q and on type everything's a conspiracy theory now, you know, no matter what happens, the government's doing it, the government's doing COVID, the government's doing, it. they want to put vaccines in us, so they can track our locations, you know, it's, the, the world's gone nuts, and I think it, it's summed up perfectly in this issue. At it, 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 this issue, you know, it's almost like a filler issue, but it's so well written. The art is, the art's the one thing that, in, in this that, that took me away, like get used to, but like, I, yeah. whenever, whenever, James Tenian had put up on, sorry, not James Tenian, Martin Simmons had put up a tweet to the original art, and I really had to talk myself out of band some of it, but it was just absolutely. Yeah,
0: I I looked that up. That was pricey.
2: Yeah. It was exceptional,
0: but it was pricey. Yeah.
2: But it just kind of goes on, and then, you know, so you kind of see the the two main characters in in the shadows kind of watching her. Again, more of the false flag stuff. They they end up going to your house, and then it kind of ties into the overall show where there there's a black hat. All of a sudden, this hat has been you know I don't know whether it's spray painted on somewhere or is it? They uh,
1: they've they've sent her black hat. Were the ones that sent her the
2: the? I guess
1: yeah. I guess what they've sent her is a is a deep fake. Yep. Yeah. It's a it's a deep fake video of her and her son. Uh, yeah. You know, apparently looking like they are. Uh, what the crisis actors? Because that what this is about, you know. So, uh, but Black Hat, as we know, links, links back to the first issue and the uh, the conspiracy theory about the 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 flat Earth
3: uh,
2: yeah.
1: nonsense. Um, so,
2: <laughs> yes. you mean it's not flat? <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah, but no. I mean, I think I think you're yeah, you're spot on with this this book. I don't think it's even just this. It's even just this issue it's the it's the whole series you know what i mean the, the the underlying concept that if enough people believe a thing it will become reality it will become truth and you know if they can get the mother to believe it to believe it then who can they not get to believe it like you know what i mean it's it's uh, it's absolutely it's so i think i think this is both the most clever and the darkest book on the market at the minute. And you know it fits I mean? so
2: well as to what, you know, this book has been released at the perfect time.
1: Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Took,
2: you know, oh, it's, it's just, I, I absolutely love it. It's, you know, it's the Axe Fails. It's, I, I, I even love the art. I didn't like the art in issue one and two, you know, but now it, it fits it perfect. Uh, and I just realized that we've been saying James Tinian's name wrong. I just went on his Twitter and he's actually put in brackets. It's pronounced Tainin.
1: James Tainin the, the
2: Fourth.
0: I'm sorry. I am not changing how I've pronounced that man's name for the last three or four years. It's Tinian. He doesn't listen to this anyway. If you do, I apologize, sir.
2: yeah, I can't speak highly enough about this issue. I honestly think I've read it. Five or six times. There's one bit in particular. Once you know the American flag with the guns, yeah, and it's her, her on TV holding a gun in the, the the child's head. It's just uh, if anybody's listening, to this that loves me, I would really love some original artness for Christmas. <laughs> so, if you just want to set up a GoFundMe to to get me some of this. It's
0: it's uh, interesting it just, you say that about the art because. I remember when we talked about the first issue, I I had a similar thing, and it took me about half of issue one to get on board with it. But I think this was the first issue from start to finish. The art was exceptional. Like, the art was always good, don't get me wrong. Like, I I always feel weird criticizing anybody's art because I can't draw a stick man. But, (laughs) you know, this art perfectly suits this book. I don't think this art would necessarily translate to other stories, but for this story, it is awesome. Perfect. And the oh, the the ending
1: of this is, ah, oh, it is
2: the...
1: it's so, because you know they they they're, she is left. Yeah, and it's about how the way conspiracy theories are are built. It doesn't matter what you do to try and convince something that a conspiracy theory is not the truth, because that becomes part of the conspiracy. You know what I mean? So they're not even trying to convince her that it's not the truth. All they're doing is taking away the evidence, the evidence, which is, you know, the deep fake evidence, which so she can't spread it. And that just further convinces her that she she's right. You know what I mean? And that's that's the really, really dark part of this book. You know,
2: well, I've I've kind of thought, you know, you know, conspiracy theories, there's always someone at the end of it. You know, you can, ter- you know, c- can you imagine, say, someone like, I don't know, someone close to you passed away because of COVID, and you're going on the Facebook and you're seeing Sally Ann from the, the new Lodge Road putting up a status saying, oh, COVID's not real. It's all a myth. It's all a conspiracy. Yeah. You know, yeah, yeah. S- slightly different to losing a, a child in a school shooting. But it did happen with the school shootings, you know, can you imagine what that's like as a parent hearing, oh, your son's not dead, you're an actor? Yeah. You know it's yeah. the first time I I've stepped back and actually thought about it when it was reading this but it's yeah, it's I mean. it's it's nuts. like it's it's
1: great it's such a such a, it, it is the book for our time like for our our post truth age it's uh it's it's such an incredible book I just I look forward to every every issue with this but the but that that ending just just absolutely felled me you know, she just she's she just doesn't. You know, well, she's
0: I, she's so detached as a character. Like, you know that that's that's what you need our main character for. You know, he's the audience's eyes and ears of. You know, are are you really going to leave her like this? Sort of thing. But I
1: mean, this is this is she. She knows what she's, You know, the Ruby is it? Is that what you call her? Uh, Ruby knows what she's doing. But the just the last two pages of how they leave the mother, how the mother is left just buying into the, buying into the conspiracy theory like completely and. And further and deeper into it than it ever was, and just shouting at a shouting at a a brick wall. She's getting oh, but they know that she's less dangerous that way, you know. It's
2: just thinking. See if you go to page one, look at the eyes. Yes, is it just me, or is that Donald Trump?
1: Could be, could be, (laughs) could be. Well, you know, it would totally make sense if it was, given you know, given the The uh, election. well, given what given what they're talking about in this book, you know. But yeah,
2: yeah. Einstein for me, it's oh, since I great. read comics, the, the best issue I've read, it's, yeah, I can't, I can't praise it enough.
0: And same again with this one, just as with like Seven Secrets and so forth, it's hitting trade in February. So I think trade will be a really good way to read this book as well. I think it's, the yeah. more the more of it you can read once you get into that headspace of what it's trying to say and what it's talking about, uh, I think this will actually read really, really well in trade. So uh, definitely keep an Did eye you out say for it's that.
2: A, it's the second most popular indie in the store.
0: It is, yeah. It's, yeah. Well, it's joint second, it and Stillwater are joint second. And uh, the most popular pull is still Undiscovered Country. So it's, uh, but yeah, I mean, we it, it again shows the variety of comics and how much we push indie in store as well. We have so many indie books that outsell Marvel and DC books like crazy. You know, you've got your Batmans and your Venoms and your amazing Spider Mans and your, you know, metal and stuff like that. But see once you get off that and start moving on like Detect uh, Department of Truth, we have twice as many people on Department of Truth as we have on Superman. Just as an example. You know, yeah. it's it's indie comics are just, you know, they're just so good at the moment. And again it's people following creators from the big two onto their
2: indie stuff. So Speaking um, of creators, do you have many on something's killing the children?
0: not as many as we would like to be honest we have a lot of trade readers of it. Yeah, uh, something is killing the children's another one that we we loved from get-go from issue one but then it became one of those boom titles and went back to second third fourth fifth sixth print and people didn't want that they yeah. basically if they just wanted to read the story they were happy to wait for trade whereas it's obviously an issue that's you know gone through the roof now but uh yeah, there, there are some that people just that like the trades. It's similar to what you're saying about AWA titles. You're happy to just read those in, in trade form. Same
2: as me in Undiscovered Country. I read the, the first trade of that, and then I think I picked up the next issue, and I was just like, you know what? No, uh, I'll, I'll keep it for trade. Yeah, stick to trades.
0: No, that's fair. That's fair. But, uh, yeah, so that was Paddy's Choice then for 25th of uh, October, and I think the whole reason he agreed to do this podcast was that he really just wanted to talk about Department of Truth 3.
2: So that's me done, everyone. (laughs) (laughs) Bye-bye.
0: So from one title you should pick up and trade if you have missed it so far to another title that unfortunately came to an end this week but will also make a wonderful trade. Uh, I know that this is something that is bittersweet for you, Keith, to say the least. Please don't spoil it. I I know you want to talk about it a lot. Apologies. I I stockpiled this, and I'm going to read 1 to 12 this week. But what are we talking about?
1: Well, I... uh... The first issue of this series was my pick of the week. The seventh issue of this series was my pick of the week. So that's the uh, the start and the middle. And the final issue of this series is my pick of the week, and that is Symmetry, John Constantine Hellblazer number twelve uh, by Simon Spurrier, uh, Aaron Campbell, and colourers by uh, Jordi Belair. Uh, <laughs> why are they? Why are they bringing DC's best book of the year to an end? Why? It's it's just been it's been phenomenal. It's been it, it has been uh, the best I have ever seen Constantine written. Uh, it has been, as I say, to my mind, the best DC's best ongoing book of the year. Uh, it's been the best DC black label experience I've had and that is set against Three jokers is set against the last God which you know I'm a huge fan of and, and others you know Ugh, it's just been it's been so good like like Department of Truth very much a book of our time. Uh, Saisburyer is, is is a Brit and this very much uh, is talking about is talking about brexit and is talking about the rise of toxic nationalism, uh, toxic patriotism uh, and all and all linked through with, uh, you know, through it all as is weaved, is weaved magic, and through that as weaved John Constantine at his utter bastard best, uh, you know, trying trying to get out of his own way in order to, in order to service the greater good uh, and not really giving too much of a crap who gets in his way when he's doing it because, you know, the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few and all that. Uh, uh, it was a real it was a a real uh yeah real great finale to the to the series that the 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 first six issues were released as a trade the second six issues are released when they
0: i believe it's february as well yeah there's a there's definitely a common theme through this podcast here
1: yeah this was so this yeah so this it's i mean there was there was three part stories two part stories one part stories uh this is the conclusion of a Three-part story called the scepter Isle. It brings together all of the characters and all of the situations that that John has met throughout this twelve-issue run, um, for better or for worse, and uh, you know uses all of those uses all of those characters and and uh, and all of those situations. There has been a through line through this uh, through this story, which is uh, an older version of John Constantine has been has been at the. I guess the the background of, of the whole thing and, and what's going on. So we see a conclusion of that, and uh, I I get I get the feeling that maybe there's been some changes made to issue twelve from how it was originally conceived. Whenever this title was cancelled, uh, in order that that Spearier could uh, more fully finish off his arc. Um, just there seems to be a wee bit of a jump between issue eleven and issue twelve. Is the only thing that makes me think that. Um, but oh, what a what a story! I, I mean, I, I can't really say too much more uh, <laughs> without without spoiling it uh, for you and for everybody else. And I wouldn't want to do this because it's just it's just a gorgeous story. They the, the art Aaron Campbell's art uh, is. I mean, in parts it is comparable to Department of Truth Party. I would say. Uh, the way it's the way it's rendered very much fits the uh, very much fits the story uh, but the way that magic is is uh, is rendered as well just looks fantastic uh, a lot of it is it nearly seems to be rotoscoped you know almost like photographs have been have been drawn over uh, in some parts um, but yeah just we'll talk about it after you've read it I guess.
2: <laughs> I'll be honest, John Constantine is a character that I had a zero zero interest in, and I heard you speak about issue seven on the podcast.
1: The one with the, the mermaid?
2: The mermaid story, and it just so happened, I think, then, that the following week, the first trade was out, and it, I absolutely loved it. I <laughs> thought it was fantastic. I see what you mean about the art. Similar to Department of Truth in some aspects. Yeah, yeah. But the, the, for them, six issues were absolutely fantastic. And I'm raging that the second trade won't be out until February.
3: Uh-huh.
1: Uh-huh. Well, yeah, I mean, it's, uh,
0: it'll be worth the wait. It's interesting, just as I was saying there, with, you know, there being a theme through this and February releases. I believe in our previews board in store, I have Department of Truth trade on my picks. I believe Keith has the Hellblazer trade. On his picks, and I believe Vicky has Seven Secrets trade on her picks. So, (laughs) you know, normally when it comes to the previews board, we we focus on single issues. We don't really focus on trades too much. But see, just some of the titles coming out this year, because they've then fell prey to scalpers and and things like that, and they've maybe been a little harder to get, we really want to make sure people are getting these stories and enjoying them, you know. I believe Department of Truth as well, it comes out, and then the next issue is out the same day. So it's a case of, if you like it, here's your jumping on point as well. So, um, I mean, I feel a bit guilty sitting here. I can just see Keith, like, flicking through the issue, smiling (laughs) like crazy at different points, bursting at the seams wanting to talk about it. But because he's a good guy, he's not going to.
3: (laughs) What struck me about it
2: was just just how English it was. You know, I didn't expect it. you know, there there was gangs from London. There was, you know, the the barmaid Scouse, she was Scouse or Scottish.
1: Yeah, the uh, the, uh, the the bouncer p- was, yeah, oh, and uh, Tommy boy. Tommy Tommy Willowtree. Oh, Willowtree! <laughs> what,
2: what a what uh, a The London he
1: hipster was. wizard, you know, and yeah, the the as you say, the the gangs from the start, you know, the the angels in the tree, yep. and the and all of that, uh, and the characters that, yeah. But what I think it, I think it's necessary to see all those all those characters and all those facets of uh, of English society. You know, or, or you know, British society to some extent, because that's really the theme of of the book and the through line of the book. And I mean, John is is very much you know, Seisbury or definitely has has John's voice as you know as a as an Englishman as a as a Northerner. You know, um, Liverpool uh, Yes, exactly. As a he's he's from Liverpool, isn't he? Uh, originally,
3: mm-hmm. John
1: Constantine. But yeah, uh, yeah and, and what just what what's really good is is how it ties up all of the you know, the 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 it just pulls threads and characters from the previous eleven issues and just ties them all together and it's it's just fantastically the fantastic the way it's done and the way John the way John Constantine thinks is just getting inside his head as a it's a
2: horrible place to be like
0: Alan, didn't you
2: say the the writer tweeted something about what the next story arc was going to be called?
0: Yeah, he um, spurrier he You know, he has not been, you know, backwards about coming forwards, as they say, when it comes to Constantine. The fact that the idea was always that they had 12 issues, but at the same time, if it did well, he had so many more stories to tell sort of thing. So he has been consistent with, you know, voicing his displeasure, if you will, uh, in terms of um, the fact that it it did get cancelled and the fact that people... Like, every single month Constantine came out, when they put together, like, review aggregate scores, it was always DC's top-rated book in terms of critic reviews. It was often um the top book, not just DC. But, uh, yeah, let me see. The, this was it here. So, it was when it dropped last week. He said, our final issue of Hellblazer drops today. It is quite something. If we'd had the chance, the next arc would have been called Dead in America. Make of that what you will. So he's he's even left a wee seed there for people to be even more upset that it is finished.
1: (laughs) Actually, that that makes a lot of sense. And obviously he's he was maybe moving moving theme then, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. He was maybe you know, given that that this was a very it was a very British book, you know, as uh, as 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 Paddy says, you know. Uh, it was also I should say it was a double sized issue as well. See Uh, it
0: it upset me that they cancelled it when they did because Often, there are certain comics that maybe don't do so well in single issues, but then they find a new completely new audience in trades. So the trades selling well enough means that they'll continue with the series. But they announced the uh, the cancellation of this, even before the trade for the first volume came out. They didn't even give it a chance to see if people would embrace it in a in a trade form. You know, I can obviously only speak to our store, but see when it comes to all the Sandman Universe stuff. like Most of them got 20 issues plus. Not one, you could add together the amount of people that had the other four titles on their pull list, so Lucifer, Books of Magic, um, House of Whispers, and The Dreaming. And if you combine all those four titles and the amount of people that had in pull lists, it added up to less than the amount of people on Hellblazer. But yet it was cut down to 12 issues, so it's I don't fully understand the uh, the thought process between the timing of the cancellation. It's a hard thing sometimes as a comic store owner, because I can only speak about our store and how things sell. But Hellblazer was a great seller, and the trade has sold out every time I've got it in. Um, so, you know, why not give it a bit of a chance? But hey-ho, there you go. At least it was uh, 12 issues of perfection, look at it that way, rather than 25 issues of varying...
1: You
2: know. yeah yeah
1: very very true very true is there um, a
2: release date for the trade for suicide squad
0: um i think it is the end of january actually yes yeah, we're not getting in the honorable mentions patty don't do this don't do this <laughs> okay <laughs> that's I a keith see. that's a keith maneuver <laughs> that's a keith maneuver
2: I'm i haven't read any of it but i've heard very good things
0: has anybody read 11 have you read keith uh, i've read i finished suicide squad yeah yeah so it's worth it just for one moment that's not a spoiler of any kind but there's a part where they beat up a president in it who looks eerily like donald trump <laughs> which was <is> great <laughs> uh be yeah, suicide squad is fantastic and when the trade comes out get it because it's class yeah. uh but anyway we have uh, warbled on for uh three hours at this point already so And we interrupt the regular review scheduling to bring you the latest episode of Dandering with the Dead with Roddy McCants.
4: Hello, it's Roddy here. Uh, I just wanted to say thank you for bearing with me. I haven't really been reading that many comics at the moment. I've um, lost my way a little bit with the comic reading and um, just kind of taken a break from the pod for a little while haven't really been feeling myself and I've had a bit of upheaval and a lot of stuff going on in regards to work so reviewing comics kinda it's kinda gone to the back of my mind a little bit at the moment so I have to give a big thanks to Alan and Keith who've steadied the ship a little bit for me so um, I can't say thank you enough to those guys for keeping the keeping the ball rolling they've all they've obviously got their own stuff going on at the moment so it means a lot and definitely miss chatting to them so um yeah if anyone's going through some hard times at the moment i really feel you so those boys are doing some great work i listened to the previous podcast and it was awesome looking forward to hearing my replacement too for a little while um, yeah so hopefully it's not forever it's just for now but, anyway, what I have read is The Walking Dead, welcome to Dandering with the Dead number two. So, we pick up with The Walking Dead issue number two. We join writer Robert Kirkman, artist Tony Moore, and the newbies, colorist Dave McKeague and letterer Russ Wooten, who basically these two, for me, steal the show in these books. Dave's colors just—it's um, what it's all about. It's bringing that little bit of visual embellishment to these stories, um, which really, really make it pop. And they make these. There's a beautiful contrast to a lot of the colors and the sickly tones he seems to use, and the really, really brutal and intense stuff he uses for the uh, the zombie scenes. And there's a real. He really captures the, the horrific nature of these stories and these the zombies. So this one issue two starts off with Rick is on his way to Atlanta and his car breaks down at a gas station. And there's the thing about this comic that really always that's kind of sticking out to me is these great visual one-page panels. They're just like there's just like little snapshots of this an incredible new world we're discovering on the first page there's like the fourth panel down it's a great scene where it's just a dead zombie just sort of lying backwards in the car and it's just just kind of tells you all you need to know it's really cool um goes on rick sort of stumbles across he's looking to get to atlanta because he's heard his family might be there that's where all the survivors went after shit went down Uh, he finds a house and finds again finds bodies all over the floor Uh, there's a cross on the wall which I thought was pretty interesting and then out the back he finds a horse which was interesting to me because I'm not too sure how long you know a horse can live for but I was kind of interested in how long has this thing been going on how long was Rick out for that's those are the questions I'm sort of asking myself as I'm reading it um, so he finds the horse no idea how long this horse has been there but they make a pact and if it, you get a nice wee bit of characterization here because Rick can he can talk to the horse and that means therefore he's kind of telling his feelings to the reader, which is pretty cool um, he makes you know something that was really interesting to me was he makes it to Atlanta really fast and I guess you you know some people might see that kind of like as a negative like you kinda part of me was like oh okay you know we could I'd be really interested in seeing a lot more of this the world and the world building around this but at the same time I find this issue was really strong with characters and it seems to be that perfect mix of characters and the world building you know I get the feeling it's gonna come a bit later because you're you're in the same position as Rick. Almost, you've woken up with him, which I thought was really cool. And you're just discovering everything. And he's—he's he's not going to mess around. He wants to get to Atlanta. So I kind of thought that was really interesting. There's some great stuff here. The <laughs> I love the I love the noises the zombie makes the the um, when they're just hanging about. But Rick, he's for it shows you two sides of him. He's very. Um, what's the word, he's very competent, but he's also a bit stupid at the same time he's not aware he just runs into Atlanta with his horse and ends up in a crazy amount of trouble with the most horrific part of this book was the zombies tearing the horse to shreds, and Rick going, shit, 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 oh no Um, Some brutal it's really, really sickening to see this imagery And it's live and in living colour in this one. It's really incredible stuff. Um, As the book goes on, we're introduced to Glenn, who sort of, there's a really nice jump scare almost, where he puts his arm on Rick, and I think Rick thinks that's the end of him. And sort of Rick ends up going to a rooftop with Glenn, and I thought Glenn was a really cool character just introduced because... He could have left Rick for dead, but you know, you see this humanity in them and obviously I don't think it's it's been quite a recent thing, so things haven't gone quite wrong for them yet, so they're all trying to save each other. So I really I really enjoyed the characterization of both of them in this one. Um there's a nice chase scene as well where Rick has to jump over the buildings to get to the safe place and there's a great couple of conversations him and Glenn have really dug that and obviously it ends with an amazing holy shit moment where yep Rick meets his family so a really 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 cool issue Um, standout parts were certainly some of the emotions here where Rick sort of Rick breaks down towards the end and Glenn's trying to console him but then you have you get that really hopeful moment at the end where he's reunited with his family After, you know, two issues, which you kind of go, that's, you know, this is kind of weird, but um, obviously the story is far from over, so really dug this one. There was a great um, letter um, at the back. This one was from Ariel Bausch um, from Too Hot, California, where she was talking about her introduction. She is an editor at Skybound, I think, and she was telling that her introduction to The Walking Dead was Telltale's awesome Walking Dead series of games. So I thought that was interesting. And then Kirkman, the back matter in this is freaking class. The cutting room floor on this one. um, Yeah, absolutely loved it. Um, And there's some nice, really kind of interesting stuff in the back there. So yeah, awesome. Awesome, awesome, awesome stuff. Um, Yeah, so you can join me next week for another dander. Oh, and I meant to say in this one, I can't believe looking at the pro- proposal. Um, so his original pitch of like not even a full page is included at the back of number two. And it's, you have to, I don't know, I, I don't know how it got published, but um, it did. And here we are, because it's very simple. So it's pretty interesting to me that that was all it took and uh, some nice Tony Moore art to get this thing off the ground really cool can't uh can't recommend this book enough so yeah join me uh next time and we will talk about issue three
0: and we're back to our regularly scheduled program always wonderful to hear from roddy i know he's struggling a little bit right now we are certainly there for him for whatever he needs at all times Glad to hear he is enjoying The Walking Dead though, it's uh, it's obviously a long read, The Walking Dead, but as Keith and I have chatted about a few times, you know you're in for a great story because The Walking Dead, in comic form anyway, never dips quality all the way, baby. But we'll get back to our regularly uh, scheduled review show that uh, there is the case of what we're looking forward to this week. So, again, we're recording 30th November, so these are going to be for releases coming on the 2nd of December, so... We always pick our top three titles that we are looking forward to so shock horror for me it is a dc clean sweep that is because at long last batman catwoman is coming out uh we obviously had clay in the store over a year ago we chatted to him again recently we've been waiting for this for a long long time so this week is the week for that going to be a 12 issue mini series already really uh popular on the pull lists uh we've ordered plenty of extras though so get on that We've got a great uh, hardcover coming this week, so Wonder Woman Dead Earth, which was uh, Daniel Warren Johnson doing a four-issue Wonder Woman Black Label series. I only got as far as issue two because that became one of those scenarios where people jumped on it late, I gave up my issues, and then I had to wait for the trade. (laughs) And then last but not least, I have Deceased Dead Planet 6, so it feels... It definitely must be that time of year close to the, the dreaded C word because you know, four issues are deceased in the space of two weeks. Def- <laughs> definitely feels like a gift right there, so but I'll not mention the C word because we're still in November. Uh how about you, Patty? Have you got three issues?
2: Yeah, I have went for Thor Ten. Quite enjoyed the, the dark nature of Thor now. Uh interesting that the Thor has been taken out of King and Black.
0: Don't know why. See, we chatted mm. about this. We we kind of like that Thor's not related to Keen and Black. I think
1: there's, yeah, there's an element I think as we we said that where you know the Black Winter, which was the 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 big bad and the uh, and the first arc of Thor. You know, there was a lot of people going, "Is that null? Is that null?" And Donny Case was like, "No, not everything I do is related to Venom." <laughs>
2: He also tweeted saying that that Black Winter will be back.
1: Yeah. Oh yeah? Yeah. Very, very cool. Uh, Um, I went
2: for Daredevil 25. Quite interested to see how that plays out with him being in prison.
0: Yeah, 24 was very close to a pick of the week as well, but it just came out the same week as other history, so it was number two.
2: And then Batman 104, which since Joker War has just went from strength to strength absolutely loving Batman at the minute mm, the Ghostmaker storyline is really interesting yeah. and I absolutely love Clown Hunter, I, I think he's a, a brilliant character <laughs> so much better than punching.
1: Yeah. yeah, yeah, true, true uh, for me uh, I can't look past it whenever it's coming out uh, any given week Firepower number 6 Robert Kirkman and uh, Chris Samney is out uh, on Wednesday looking forward to it uh, I'm looking forward to uh, the next tale of uh, the wandering hillbilly uh, Rondell uh, in Eric Powell's Hillbilly, The Treacherous Treason of Twelve to Maggie, number one of three. Uh, and I've still got two trades sitting to read, so I'm looking forward to those as well.
2: The best uh, comic book title I think I've heard in a long time. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, I mean, I've got totally,
1: totally addicted to this, uh, to this uh, series uh, since I got a free comic book day title uh this year and uh just really so the the hillbilly stuff is i'm really loving it and then finally of course we've already mentioned it king and black number one uh is out on wednesday so i'm really i think we're all really looking forward to it um you know but i mean it's a it's a full week as well there's a whole bunch of other stuff
0: uh that I'm, i'm really looking forward to too so that's just just three (laughs) but I'm sure when we get to reviews next week there will be more than three on your pull list so yep, plenty of quality stuff to look forward to there this week as always so uh, again just to reiterate, we are obviously still operating uh, to some degree in the store, you can certainly come down and uh, collect your pull lists from us but it is a very strict one in, one out, locked door scenario so uh, just be mindful of that, get in touch with us in advance when you're popping down for example and we can sort of slot you into a little appointment time there so but anything else you need? In the meantime, just get in touch through the usual social media channels. Find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, all the usual spots. So, just want to say massive thanks to Paddy for stepping in. I think that went rather well, sir.
2: Well, thank you for having me on. That was a pleasure. I enjoyed it.
1: It was an absolute pleasure to have you. It was uh, great to chat to you, and I'm sure we'll. Uh, I'm sure we'll be chatting to you again.
2: I'm looking You're forward supposed... to meeting you in person, Patty. Yes, when, in 2024 when everything's back to normal. <laughs> <laughs> also, remember the first time I came into the store, it was, you know, I'm kind of like socially awkward the first time I meet somebody. It was kind of like, hi, Alan, I, I'm Patty from, from Facebook. And Alan goes, well, under normal circumstances, you shake your hand, but we're not allowed at the minute.
0: <laughs> Responsible, no, to, the core, Responsible <laughs> to the core, me. Responsible to the core. And also good at breaking the ice. So, um, yep. So, cheers for that, Paddy. Cheers as always to Keith. Pleasure, sir. Yeah, brilliant, brilliant to be, brilliant to be chatting comics. That it is, and I promise we're back on track there, dear listeners. So we won't hit you with another 3 r bad boy, unless that's what you want, of course. Anyway, <laughs> until next time, guys. Been a pleasure, and in honor of our uh, missing compadre, keep on winging it. Keep on winging it.